get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Matthew Libertor ready to go. A former number one pick of the Rays now faces them for the first time tonight. Like that there. How about that 95 at the bottom of the zone? You'll take that all day. And Swing and a miss. Libertor is finding the magic. He is swung on and missed. Libertor is dealing six strikeouts through five innings. The story of this night is the man on the mound. Matthew Libertor with a new career high in strikeouts. After a long first inning, he looks like a man reborn tonight. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Guys, I didn't see that coming. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. We all said it yesterday at the end of the show. I said, what are you expecting from Matthew Liberator tonight? All of us thought at most five innings. And all of us thought three or more earned runs against. He goes out there and has the performance of his life. Eight innings seven strikeouts did not allow a run did not walk anybody either it was one of the better performances that we've seen by any cardinal starter so far this season it was one of the best starts that we've seen by a young cardinal starter in the last decade guys in the last decade here is the entire list of cardinals pitchers that threw eight scoreless innings without walking a hitter. No other qualifier, just eight scoreless, zero walks in the last decade for the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright's done it. Shelby Miller, Lance Lynn, Jaime Garcia, Miles Walker, or Michael Walker, Miles Michaelis, Jose Quintana did it once last season. And now last night, Matthew Liberatore was able to match those numbers as well. Alex, it's the first time a lefty starter has recorded a win against the Rays so far this year. This was a legitimate performance against one of the better teams in the major leagues. What did you take away from the best start that we've seen in Matthew Libertor's young career? So, BK, this might surprise you a little bit here, buddy, but I'm pretty mad. <laughs> I watched Matthew Libertor deal last night. First of all, props to that kid. That was awesome for yep. him, especially for what he's gone through this season and back-to-back starts. I know the first one against Minnesota was good, but you still gave up the runs. This was massive. But then I got angry. And here's why I got angry, BK. Because I hear Ali Marmol use the phrase, yeah, I think we unlocked something with Matthew Libertor. And then I think back to Dakota Hudson's last couple of starts and Zach Thompson's starts and Matthew Libertor starts. And I'm thinking, oh, 
So they've unlocked something with these guys. Where was this the first three months of the season when everybody was playing horribly and these guys were getting counted upon and then they were going back to Memphis and brought back to the majors and then back to Memphis. Then he's a starter. Then he's a reliever. Dakota Hudson's not even up here. And now we've unlocked something. And you know why I'm even more pissed off about the start that we saw last night, BK? Oh, I'm getting really worked up right now. Oh, good. It's because good. I can Help just me. hear the conversations in the front office. I can hear the trio of Flores and Gersh and Mosellock looking at each other saying, well, this helps us in the offseason. Well, now we don't have to go after Nola or Snell or Yamamoto. Now all we got to do is get Sonny Gray because we've got Matthew Libertor. We've got Dakota Hudson. Ollie and Dusty Blake think they've unlocked something with these guys. Have you seen the swing and miss stuff for all three of these players? I'm a little ticked off because I think the Cardinals are going to fall for this. Like, I am falling for it. No. I never fall Damn for something it. like this. He got seven strikeouts against Tampa. You can't even use the argument that's a bad lineup. Zach Thompson had eight strikeouts. Dakota Hudson beer well, basically threw almost a complete game shutout. Thompson was going against a bad lineup. There, there are no... Remember earlier this season, we were talking about Jack Flaherty, right? And there were a lot of yeah buts to some of his starts. And then you finally got to one and you're like, man, there was no yeah buts about that one. Jack Flaherty just looked great. That's what last night was for Matthew Libertor, man. There was no disclaimer to be had. You're going up against a really good lineup. You're doing so against a lineup that crushes lefties specifically. No other starter that is left-handed has gotten a win against the Rays so far this year. Matthew Libertor just did that. He goes through eight innings. He throws more than 100 pitches in the game. He was able to stay in when I was thinking at home. I don't know if anybody else was thinking this. After the sixth, when he got out of that clean, I was like, hey, take him out. And this is not because I like wanted to see anybody out of the bullpen. I just wanted to see them get him in a spot where like he felt good. Finally coming out of a major league game. Remember last year or two years ago, maybe it was where Johan Oviedo was like, hey, take him out of the game to finally try to get him this win. Just try to get him a spot where he feels good after an outing. That's how I felt last night about Libertor. And then they kept throwing him out there and I was like, all right, let's see what this kid's made of now. And he just kept going out there and shoving for eight excellent innings against a really good lineup. So I totally understand where you're coming from, Alex, where it's like, where was this? The entire season came down to the Cardinals not having enough pitching, not having enough swing and miss stuff in their rotation. So why did it take until August for us to see this version of Matthew Liberator? I totally understand. I'm just looking at the season as a sunk cost at this point, though. It, it, it was three horrendous months of watching the worst Cardinals team that we've seen in more than a decade. And now I'm separating pre-August 1st with post-August 1st. Post-August 1st, this is what it's all about. You need to see little moments like that. Matthew Libertor last night gave you reason for optimism for the 2024 Cardinals. August 1st, that trade deadline was all about 2024 and beyond. And what you're witnessing right now with Matthew Libertor, that's what it is for him as well. That is the kind of start that if the Cardinals had traded for a big-time prospect, we would have been hoping to see. And now they just got it from their own big-time prospects that we've all been waiting to, I, for. I actually feel more encouraged the fact of the matter that we can say that the Cardinals have quote-unquote fixed players this year. I, I look at it, and look, now, if Flippertor goes out and gets shellacked in his next start, then the, the, this is a mute, uh, mute point, and it doesn't matter because 
then it was just this starting in Stampa was more of a blip on the radar for Matthew Libertor, which I don't think it was, by the way. I think he did potentially unlock something. But the fact of the matter that they can fix a Steven Matz to where you can put him in pen in your rotation, the fact that they could fix a Jordan Hicks so they could get actual value from him from the trade deadline, the fact that they, again, the jury is still out, but if they can fix Matthew Libertor and you feel better about him going into 2024 as a potential five and you actually see the upside of these prospects, it makes me feel good about the coaching staff that you have. I understand the argument of, okay, sure, it took them three months to get it figured out, but... Nobody was expecting Stephen Matz to be bad like that. I think it took time to figure out what exactly was wrong. I think it took time to figure out what was wrong with Jordan Hicks. It's taken time with Matthew Libertor, and now it seems like they finally found a plan. And it makes me feel really good about how they're going to fix Jordan Walker's defense in the outfield. Go ahead, Alex. Can I can I make a request? Mm-hmm. Can we stop waiting until August to f- to unlock potential in certain pitchers? Because then you find yourself in a hole that you can't dig yourself out of. Like, this is what it's been the last couple of years, where the team is good for a month, and then they're bad for about a month and a half, and you're out of it so far, and then all of a sudden you make this... Like, I'm sick of the argument of the Cardinals are a great second-half team, and they unlock things with certain guys, and then they get their hopes up for that guy. They go into the offseason and say, well, we don't need to do this because we have this, and we thought we've unlocked something. See, I don't think it's a unlock... I don't think it's a development and developing players problem it's a not building the team the proper way in the first part of the season problem it's a front office problem of developing a team in the off season by making the proper acquisitions that's why i'm pre-mad of 90 wins. <laughs> and team. that's why i'm pre-mad because what they just saw from those three guys two of those three are going to be in the rotation plans next year so now rather than going after two big fish now after not going scuba diving for those guys we're just going to go find somebody in tier four of the free agent market because we've got we've unlocked these guys i'm pre-mad and I think it's totally understandable. I, I really do, because they've given you no reason to believe that they're going to change their, I'm not even talking about philosophy on pitching, like the swing and miss stuff, change their philosophy on free agents, of going out there and signing players that everybody else wants to sign. So I understand where you're coming from completely in that regard, Alex. I would also add this, though. We talked all deadline about, or T-Bone, you mentioned this yesterday even. Go out there, get another pitcher that's interesting, that comes with prospect status or that's shown capabilities at the big league level, right? What you're trying to do right now is to develop that guy the rest of this season that can become next year's Brian Wu or to become next year's version of uh, Miller, Bryce Miller for the Mariners. Maybe you have a guy internally right now in Matthew Libertor that can be for you what so many of those young starters are right now down in Miami for the Marlins. And if you do that, it gives you a guy that can backfill in the rotation. Libertor should not be handed anything, by the way. There is nothing he can do the rest of the season where I write his name in pin as my number five starter going into next year. Nothing. I want to see him continue to do what we what we saw last night, which is not like the eight innings of scoreless ball. He doesn't have to continue to do that. Just keep his velo up. Keep using that changeup. I loved that he incorporated that into his mix yesterday. It allowed him to be a five-pitch pitcher. Keep landing that curveball for strikes. There's going to be days where the opposition just has your number. They sit on your fastball. It doesn't have a ton of movement, and it gets hit a little bit. That's fine, man. That's part of the development of of a big league pitcher. But what I do think they unlocked, hopefully, yesterday was maintaining that fastball velocity into the 6th, 7th, and 8th inning, where he was throwing 96, 97 miles per hour late into the game. That's new. 
where he was landing that curveball for strikes. That's different than what we saw the last time around, where he got almost no swings and misses, and honestly, got very few swings in general against his curveball. You got that changeup that was able to be mixed in. The four seam was at the top of the zone. The sinker was at the bottom of the zone. Like, he was just... Man, Jack talked about the art of pitching. Last night, we saw the art of pitching from a dude that is 23 years old and has the upside to be a number three for the Cardinals next year. That was encouraging in every way possible. Was that the beginning of what is going to be a new version of Matthew Libertor, or was it a one-off? That's what the rest of this season has to be about for the Cardinals. I'll give him credit, too. I mean, that was mucho grande cojones for a Matthew Libertor to go Hell into yeah, Tampa and perform that way. And maybe this is maybe this is the better way for me to frame where the frustration came from last night. Like, you knew that this was in him. You knew that the potential was there. There's a, not, it, it, there's a reason he was this high of a prospect. I think he needed to fail. Yeah. Can, can I? Can we say? But that? I also like, think it needed the manager to look at him and do what Ollie said and like, dude, don't worry about going back to Memphis. You're going to do this. Like, why are you do that? Why? How, how were they going to do that? But you started the, the season with Jake year. Woodford, and then Stephen Matz got put to the bullpen. Like, why aren't you looking at Matthew Libertor at the beginning of the season? And look, maybe the spring training wasn't good, but it was terrible. But if you knew that there was potential there, like you just unlocked, it's not like this guy dealt in AAA before he got brought back up. Exactly. That's why why I think he needed to fail to find out what he was doing. I think Matthew Libertor's stubborn and there's nothing wrong with that. Why not let him fail at the big leagues, though? Because you're trying win. to win at that point. Yeah. And, I mean, they're, they're, they just started, and they won't say this because they are trying to, quote-unquote, win in the locker room. They just started trying to lose on August 1st. Here's your list of pitchers that got starts for the Cardinals this year. Michaelis, Monty, Flaherty, Mats, Wayno. That's the vast majority of your starts so far this year. The rest of them combined, Woodford, Hudson, and Thompson have combined for a total of 10 starts this year. Matthew Libertor has made 10 starts this year. There just wasn't a whole lot of opportunities that went to other guys that should have gone to Matthew Libertor. This wasn't about a lack of opportunity for Libby. He was terrible for the Cardinals this year, both at the AAA level and at the major league level. I saw you guys on Twitter coming after me, Alex, and T-Bone last night saying, oh, you guys feeling stupid now after your prediction of Libby struggling against the race. No, I don't feel stupid at all. I feel like that was an unbelievable outing for him. And there was very little that was suggesting that it was coming from him. Very little. The Cardinals saw something in his most recent bullpen that suggested, hey, we might have unlocked something here. And then we saw it implemented onto the field. The next time out, we get to see if he can do it again. And then we'll see if he can do it again. The good players at this level, the great pitchers at this level can repeat that every fifth day. The guys that are the one-off pitchers where we've seen it and then it goes away. Dakota Hudson, for example. Those are the guys that end up going up and down and up and down and up and down and nobody's really feeling comfortable about them being a starter. I don't think this was on the Cardinals this season with the way that they treated Libby. There was one weird blip where he was like a starter one day and then three days later came out of the bullpen. That was dumb. That shouldn't have happened. But the rest of the year, I think it was a year of development for him where he needed to find out what I'm doing does not work. And so I have to change my way of preparing for games. I need to lift harder. I need to increase my velo longer. I've got to find a way to get big league hitters out because what I'm doing is not working. Because what he's done has always worked at every single level until this year. And now... He found out what it looks like to fail, and now he's trying to get himself back on track. So I'm going to give full kudos to him. 
I don't think there's blame to lie here with Matthew Liberatore. I think the blame lies in the Cardinals for needing Matthew Liberatore this season to be something that he was unprepared to be. That's on them for failing in the offseason and for putting too much pressure on guys like Adam Wainwright, who is over the hill, and for guys like Matthew Liberatore, who was not prepared to be a number three starter for them in 2023. Was that supposed to make me feel better? I think so. I'm still angry. You're just always May seventeenth, five innings, three hits, six strikeouts against Milwaukee. The next out, next time we saw him, out of the bullpen. Yeah, that was the part that I was talking about. That I, I think they screwed up there. Pisses me off. Couldn't have unlocked it in May. Again, I, mean, I think he needed to fail to realize because I, I think the he, Cardinals. He, had a, he wasn't. He wasn't even good. Like I, yeah, I in the car, seven <laughs> I can't remember exactly what was said, but there was a comment from Ollie back when he was struggling earlier in the year that said, "Like this, we're working with Libertor, but Libertor has to work with us." Which is to the point of what BK said is, I think Libby was somewhat uh, stubborn, stubborn, and wasn't making. Okay, well, my stuff's worked everywhere. I'm just into a bad rut. And then he failed and went, okay, if I'm going to be a big league pitcher, I've got to make adjustments. So as much as people want to blame the Cardinals, I think it's on both parties. I think the player had to realize that he's got to be better. And I think the Cardinals had said, okay, now we think we see what we can do to work this out. I, I think the emotion you saw yesterday from Ali Marmol, I think they felt like that start was one of the biggest, or they knew it was the biggest one in his career. They thought that start was a pinnacle for Matthew Libertor to where if they're going to make all the comments they did leading up to and say, we think we've unlocked something, we think we've unlocked something, and then he goes out there and gets shelled, I think the Cardinals would think that it's almost done for Matthew Libertor and it wasn't going to work. And now they can go, hey, that bullpen translated, we were right, we found something that works, now it's just going up from here. It reminds me a little bit of the J.D. Martinez conversation. People in Houston, I don't think they have any reason to be mad about the, the Houston Astros giving up on J.D. Martinez. Because J.D. Martinez, at that point in his career, and if you guys know the story, J.D. Martinez was a young player, did not have any success really with the Houston Astros, and then went to Detroit. He was 26 years old, completely turned his his career around. Why? Because he completely changed his swing. He failed for three seasons at the big league level. He went and worked with Marlon Byrd, changed his swing around completely, and it was like, oh boy, this guy's one of the best hitters in the major leagues, and then became that for the next decade. I think that's where Matthew Libertor is right now. He's at the point in his career where he's got to decide, am I going to make the changes that are necessary to become a starter, or am I going to be doomed to be a reliever for the entirety of my major league career? That is what is happening over the course of the next calendar year or so. The Cardinals are going to have to make that decision for Matthew Libertor. With Alex Ferrario, who's pre-mad, and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I think we were a little pre-mad about what Ollie Marmel decided to do in the outfield yesterday. We'll discuss how we feel after the facts coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ollie Marmel, he cannot play for my team. If Ollie is exactly like we think he is, we hear great things about Ollie. Whether you like his managerial skills mm-hmm. or not all the time, this is where you just need to take a, a pass and be like, you know what? We'll trade him. For what? I don't care. What do you mm-hmm. want to give me? Yeah. Because the value sitting in, in the stands is no it's no value anyways. Right. And there's a counter value to that too. Mm-hmm. Because I get, I, I repeat myself, when he comes back to the lineup and he gets the automatic into the lineup, mm-hmm. that bruises the culture of your team. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jamie Rivers on the fast lane yesterday after he saw the lineup and Tyler O'Neill's name was written into that lineup. Alex, I want to go back and read these comments from Tyler O'Neill to Derek Gould yesterday in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch because this is the context that we are discussing. Tyler O'Neill was in the lineup on in game one of the series against the Rays. They scratched him. He said it was because of his sore knees. Then Ollie, after the game, said he didn't feel like he could go. Then in game two, once again, after they had said, we expect Tyler O'Neill to be available tomorrow, He's in the lineup, and then they scratch him pregame because of his knees. Derek Gould asked him about it. He said, I want to understand the different playing surfaces and what that does to my body. I want to be able to be full throttle. I didn't feel like I could do that. He felt limited by the turf on Tuesday, and then he remained off of it on Wednesday. He told Derek Gould, quote, turf isn't too kind to my knees, end quote. Meanwhile, the rest of the team is out there playing on the turf down in Tampa Bay. Doesn't seem like Randy Rosarena has any issues in that turf down in Tampa Bay. Is it tougher on your knees? Absolutely. And if Tyler O'Neill was traded to the Rays and then became a DH because of it, I would understand, honestly. He'll never play there. But for Tyler O'Neill to say in the midst of this team trying to figure out what they've got and in the, in the midst of him trying to both play for a new contract and for the Cardinals trying to recoup value either in Tyler O'Neill playing his way into their plans or Tyler O'Neill playing his way into other teams' plans for next year, for him to say to the Cardinals and to his teammates, uh-uh, not playing because my knees hurt. <laughs> Jamie Rivers, I think, had the exact right comment yesterday on the fast lane, Alex. I thought it was a misstep. I agree with a lot of Ollie Marmel does, and this is just a philosophical difference here between what I how I view the Tyler O'Neill situation and clearly how... Ollie views it. I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to recoup value. Yesterday was about culture. If they're going to take Jordan Walker out of the game because he's not good enough defensively late in a game and they feel like they need to show, hey, Goldie, Arenado, we're still trying to win. Hey, Wayno, I know you're getting t- trying to get to 200. We're still trying to win for you. Ollie said yesterday pregame, hey, we're trying to get back to 500 and we'll see what it looks like the last couple of weeks of the season. For you to put Tyler O'Neill out there yesterday... I think speaks poorly to the rest of that clubhouse and specifically to Dylan Carlson. Yeah, that's who I felt horrible for was Dylan Carlson. And I know you can't feel bad like it's a business and I'm sure Dylan Carlson understood. But to me, that doesn't really that doesn't really bode well for the winning atmosphere you're trying to accomplish in that clubhouse. And I know you're not doing any winning the rest of the season, but what does that mean moving forward? That a guy who has to figure out how his body feels, if he's available and says he's good to go, he's going to play because he's the better player. Like I understand all of that makes sense when you hear it. But if I'm Dylan Carlson, who I've been given everything opportunities to, and I've been trying to reclaim and recapture what I have been in the past, and Tyler O'Neill, who's out for a couple of games, I get pushed back in. But then as soon as Tyler says, oh, my knees are good for this game against Tampa, I'm out of the lineup. I just there's two elements of it. Yeah, you want to put the best team on the field. But because your team has been so bad this season, I think now you need to focus more on the atmosphere around that clubhouse and making sure that the right mentality is around that group of players. And, you know, it is with guys like Arenado and Goldschmidt. Absolutely. But I don't think this speaks very well to the future for this Cardinals team, if that's the mindset that's in that clubhouse. I, I would agree with that. I, I think they talk all the time about winning players. Where's that start? Well, they say starts in the minor leagues. If we want winning players to grow through the minor leagues, then when they get up here, they're winning players. 
Tyler O'Neill saying he can't play because of the surface of the field, that's a losing player. And then you throw him back in the lineup when he does feel 100%. That, that is a bad kind of standard to set. Because if I'm – I don't want to use Goldie or Arnott as an example because I'm sure they're just as frustrated. But I, Carlson, for example. Carlson's going, I'm out here and I'm busting my ass off every day. I'm trying to work on hitting against right-handed pitching. I'm trying to work on my defense in center field. I understand that you guys may still be trying to recoup value on me and may, may be looking to move me in the offseason – but I'm doing everything possible to get on that field every day. And the guy that has missed time, that has been called out for dogging it earlier in the year by the same manager, he complains that his knees hurt and he gets to call his own shots and determine his own playing time. Yeah, that would irk me. That would really that would really piss me off. So it chaps your ass, huh? Yeah, it does. And I'm not even in that locker room. So I, I, I thought it was a huge misstep from the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I would probably have rode him on the bench for a week, unless you did to your point of okay, we want to play a good defensive lineup here in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning because we're trying to win. Sure. Then I understand, okay, let's go put Tyler O'Neill in for a Jordan Walker and get our best defensive lineup out there. He would not start for me for the next week if I were the St. Louis Cardinals. The other side of it that you just to play devil's advocate here is is this a and I know this is going to people are going to run with this is this something from the front office of a John Mosellock stating like hey we need Tyler O'Neill in there so if he's available he's available possible. but my only retort to that would be to, to argue with myself is if I'm the manager that might be one of those moments where I push back with what the president of baseball operations is saying so guys like Arenado and Goldschmidt and Contreras and Jordan Walker and Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman. They see, I don't take that BS. The other thing is like what changed for the turf yesterday? He was in left field. So you can play in game three, but not in game one or two. They probably got a perfect knee brace for that knee to push into the shoes a little bit more. You were out there shagging fly balls. There was reporters that said, man, he was like reckless abandon. Looked great out there. Looks like a gold glove left fielder. And then suddenly by game time in game one, weren't quite ready to go. Just the knees locked up on you. That, that. It doesn't hold a whole lot of water. And one of the things that I was thinking about prior to our show today is, well, maybe they just wanted their best defense out there. And you've got Matthew Libertor on the mound. You're trying to evaluate him. I could see that. But the alternative is Dylan Carlson. If the alternative was like it was just Jordan Walker who was on the bench as an outfielder, there is a wide gap between Tyler O'Neill defensively and left and Jordan Walker out there defensively in any of the three spots in the outfield. So I, I get that. You had Carlson, man. And I'm not the biggest Dylan Carlson defender, but Dylan Carlson is a perfectly adequate defender in left field. Even if you think offensively, he's a big gap between where he's at and where Tyler O'Neill's at, which I do. But defensively, you're not losing a lot there. So culture wise, it's fine. De- defense wise, it's fine. It just I, I thought it was a, a pretty big misstep yesterday to put Tyler O'Neill out in the outfield. Is this something that's like a fireable offense or anything like that? No, I, I don't view it that way at all. But for them to view Tyler O'Neill the way that they have, o- Ollie earlier in the season calling him out publicly for his lack of effort, their clear frustration internally, and I think you even saw it spill over into comments at times of his inability or unwillingness to get back as quickly as he could from that injury this season. The same thing was true at the end of last season when they sent him down to Arizona for the fall league while they were preparing for the postseason because he wasn't quite prepared to get out onto the baseball field when it seemed pretty clear the Cardinals thought he could go out there and play. All of this leads you to believe like, man, there is still differences on both sides between how Tyler views himself 
and how the Cardinals view Tyler O'Neill. And yesterday, that should have all culminated with him sitting on the bench for one more time. You got it. You ready to go on the the playing surf and K- is surface in Casey? Cool. Too you bad. can play two out of three. But in Ty- in Tampa Bay, after you just told us. You can't do it in game one and game two. Well, then we're not going to reward you with game three. Can't can't go out there. And I think you hit the head right on or hit the nail on the head there, Alex. On was this a front office decision? I, I think it potentially possibly was. And I think you're right. Of Ollie should have pushed back on it and said, "Hey, look, we're still going to recoup value on O'Neill. I'm still going to put him in the starting line. We're going to go back to our plan, but we need to give it a week before we get back to that plan. We need to send a message to this clubhouse of that's not tolerable. That that cannot be what is a winning culture. That is not the Cardinals' way that the Cardinals claim they want to get back well, to. Well, and you did it at the beginning of the season by calling out Tyler O'Neill before you spoke to him. So my only thing with that, too, is like if you're going to preach, and, and this is just assuming it's from the front office, not Ollie, of raising the trade value for a Tyler O'Neill, who am I going to be able to raise more trade value for for the rest of this season, Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson? I, so uh, this is I'm going to get myself into trouble because I think the answer is actually Tyler O'Neill because he he's going out there and he's performing when he's getting opportunities. Dylan Carlson is not. But this isn't even about that. At at a certain point, Jamie, what he said is correct. At a certain point, you just got to take what you can get for a player. You know, Tyler O'Neill is not a part of your future. He can't be because of stuff like this. It's why I told you earlier this week, if I fall for the Tyler O'Neill experiment again, slap me across the face because it cannot happen. The same thing should be true for Mo. I'm not saying somebody's got to slap him, but they got to tell him, like, hey, man, you, you cannot fall for the exact same thing once again. We've seen what this looks like. He's going to be an unbelievable player when everything is right. But far too often in baseball, we know how it works. You've got to be able to go out there and perform when stuff is not going your way, when you're going through a slump, when mechanically you're a little bit off, when your knees are barking, when your back is acting up. And your playing surface that you're on isn't quite to your preferred uh, liking. Tyler O'Neill can't do those things. He's unwilling to do those things. That is not what a winning baseball player looks like. Lars Newbarth, winning player. Dylan Carlson, I think to a degree, winning player. He's at least in the got right the attitude role. of it. Brendan Donovan, winning baseball player. Paul Goldschmidt, winning player. Nolan Arenado, winning player. You're starting to accumulate a lot of these guys that are winners. I don't think Tyler O'Neill at this point in his career is a winning baseball player. Not for this team, and I don't think for any other team either. Yeah, that's kind of why I've to the point where I just look at it and say, I don't think you're recouping any trade value for him because I think every team sees exactly what we see. Coming up next, who are the winning players on the Blues heading into this season and who's heading into a fork in the road type of a year? Alex will tell you next here on 101 ESPN. I've fallen. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We're right back.
back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So earlier today, Jeremy Rutherford had a great piece on The Athletic about what the Blues lineup could look like by the 2025 hockey season. Alex, it's pretty much what you'd expect. Up front, there's a bunch of forwards that are currently in their system that he's got. So you've got Jake Neighbors, Dvorsky, Dean, Bullduke, Snuggerud. They're all in the top nine in this projection from Jeremy Rutherford. He goes on to say, yeah, that's a lot of young players. There's probably going to be some free agents or trades that fit into this as well. But just based on the information that we have right now, looks like a pretty young team a couple of years from now. On the blue line, you've got a lot of the current players, but he does project, hey, they're going to have to go out there and find somebody that can be a top pairing partner for Colton Pareko. I use that as the backdrop, Alex, for a conversation that I find to be interesting. How many blues do you think are going into a fork in the road season? And what I mean by that is if things go well, they could play themselves into the 2025 plans. But if things go the other direction and it doesn't go so well this year, that player might not even be on the roster by the start of the 2024 season. Who fits into that criteria for you? Uh, so a couple of guys, I, really, it's not many forwards. The only two guys that I would say are at that, which I don't even know if they had the fork in the road. It's just where they're at. Kapanen and Verana. I think one of those two play into the 2025 plans. And if both have a bad season or if one has a really good season and the Blues see something, I could see one being here or both being gone. I don't see both being back. More of the fork in the road seasons are on defense. I think it's Krug. I think it's Letty. I think it's Scandella. I think it's Bortuzzo. And I think it's Perinovich. I think those five guys are all at fork in the road moments. Um, let's go down these really quick. Krug and Krug and Letty are, are very simple. Like Krug, if if you don't get back to the offense that we signed you for, we're gonna we're gonna try and trade you again. And sooner or later, you're gonna get pissed off at us asking you to waive your no trade clause, and you'll waive it somewhere else. Nick Letty, we signed you to be a veteran second pair defenseman. If you can't be that, we're gonna have to move on and find somebody who can. I think Scandella actually might play into the positive side of this being a UFA. If you have a good year and the blues like it, they might bring them back for a $1 million salary. I don't think Scandella would do it. I think Scandella would test the market. I think the blues also could trade him, but if he's well on the penalty kill and if he plays well defensively, I think they could do with him what they did with Bortuzzo. Just give him a million dollars and say, we need sure. you as a third pair defenseman. And then I think Bortuzzo's at that fork just because you're 34, 35 years old, a UFA, we might have to move on from you depending on the trade deadline. But if you maintain that Carl Gunnarsson-esque play, we'll keep you. And then Scott Perunovich, if you can't stay healthy, we're moving on. because Perunovich we've got, is one that immediately came to mind for me. They've got, yeah. they've got at least three guys in their system right now that are left-handed defensemen that are offensively inclined that could take that spot next year if Perunovich struggles. So those would be my names that are at the fork in the road. Yeah, I, I agree with all those names, and Perunovich was at the top of my list. Another one that I'm going to throw up there, and he's you probably won't see him unless there's injuries this year, unless he wins a battle out of camp, but it'd be tough is Zachary Bolduc. I, I think Bolduc is a guy that's coming into camp that has a lot to prove to the St. Louis Blues. When we were at the NHL draft in Nashville, and I was there with Doug Armstrong talking with him and hearing him talk to the media, they they seem like they're on the fence with Zachary Bolduc, where it was, hey, that first year, that camp was awesome. We could dream on it. Year two, it was a really big misstep, and we really want to see him get back to what he was in that first year at camp. And if he does, then he plays himself into the plans. And that is based on just training camp and I don't even know if it's so much about results I think they want to see a good training camp from him and if he doesn't 
I don't. I'm not sure his future is here in St. Louis. I think he's more of a trade asset. I think he's the trade piece that gets you that left-handed defenseman that Jr. talked about. And frankly, if I go tinfoil for you guys, I think mid-season if Bolduc's playing well in the AHL, but the Blues don't see anything, and Calgary views a different step, I think that's where the Noah Hannafin trade takes place. So I've got a couple other names that I want to throw in here, if you guys don't mind. Oh, BK's about to burn it all down. I'm no. curious if he's got some that I like considered but decided not. Is to it Pareko? Okay, I've he got two forwards that are yeah. potentially in this match. I, I think he's going where I'm thinking. Thomas and Shen. Let me start with the less interesting one first. Brandon Saad. Oh. See, I didn't even bring him up because I think he's gone. I don't know if he is. I think Brandon Saad, the funny thing about it, it's it's less about his performance, more about where the team's at. If Brandon, if the if the St. Louis Blues feel like they're going to be competitive by the start of next season, like competing for something meaningful. You just bring Brandon Sod back. Yeah, he's a good hockey player. That's a third liner that's going to score you twenty goals. That's he's it. on he's on a contract for that season, though, Correct. right? Twenty twenty five. So if he's if you're not feeling like you're going to be a legitimate threat, though, he's going to have trade value. You somebody's going to want a twenty goal score for four and a half million dollars. You know mm-hmm. who's perfect for him? Like send him to Carolina, Vegas. At every off season, Carolina's looking for Brandon Sod. They don't specifically say his name, but this is the player that they're looking for. Hey, can we get a little bit of a scoring punch that's going to come in and help us? The guy that we can guarantee is going to score 20 goals for us. He has real value on the open market. He's got to pass the puck more. Sod is somebody that I would throw into this criteria of playing his way into or out of the Blues plans, but it's really less about him and more about where the Blues are at as a team at that point. I'm with you. The other one that I find really interesting going into next offseason is Pavel Buchnevich. He is going into next year, not this upcoming season, but the year after that, 2024, the final year of his contract here with the Blues. It has been an unabashed success for Doug Armstrong. One of the best moves, I would say, Alex, so far as a top five Doug Armstrong move in his tenure. Sure, but it does. No, it's behind Logan Brown. Was bringing Pavel Buchnevich to St. Louis. And then as an addition to that, Signing him to a deal that's worth $5.8 million per year for a mid-20s player entering his prime that's going to score 25 to 30 goals every season. The reason why I have this as like a, a swing year for Booch, man, if he goes out there and is healthy, first of all, and scores another 30 goals, puts up another 80 points, looks like one of the best two-way players in the NHL, he's going to be looking for a eight and a half, nine million million per year salary. And then I don't know what the Blues do. Do they bring him back next year when he's up for an, uh, a potential extension starting on July 1st? Do they just lock him up long term and say, this guy's one of our franchise cornerstones? Or do they go into next year in the offseason and say, Pavel, Pavel Buchnevich is a trade chip because of all of these wingers that we have available in our system. We're going to use him going into his walk year as the trade chip that can get us a legit top pairing defenseman that can come in and help us right away. I think this is an interesting season for Pavel Buchnevich to see where he goes in terms of his health, his productivity, and how he fits into the Blues' future plans. And I'm with you, and I don't think it's crazy to say that Buch could be traded next year. It really comes down— I hope hope that's not the case. I would re-sign Pavel Buchnevich. That dude is a freaking stud. I would, too, but here's the thing. He's favorite player. Yeah, he's also 29. Going into that year, he'll be 30 in the free agent year. What does Doug not like to do? Give free agents that are over the age of 30 extra years. He does years. have those certain players that he puts a caveat on, like Braden Shin. He plays a specific style that they want. 
they give Braden Chin the long-term deal. So six and a half million dollars, though, and that's not what Booch is the doing. With cap rising the way that it has, it'll be the equivalent on the new cap of what the Shin deal was at six and a half million dollars under the I, old. Cap. I think Booch comes down to the development of Snuggerud and Dvorsky, and if those guys develop to the way that they look at them in 2025 and say these guys are going to be top six players for us. And you also take into consideration what the free agent market's going to look like. Is there a younger player out there that the Blues would be more willing to give eight, nine, ten million dollars to because the cap's going up? That's what I'm saying. Or do you want to keep Booch, who's going to be 30 years old, and pay him what you would probably pay maybe about a million, a million dollars and a half? The other factor into all of this is would you rather have Elias Lindholm, who's the same age long term? Or Pavel Buchnevich. I would rather have Booch because Lindholm's not a goal scorer. Lindholm was a goal scorer the year that he had Goudreau and Kachuk. But, but he's one of the best defensive centermen in the yeah. NHL. And I think what that, about Chandler Stevenson? He's going to be like, what, 30, 31? 31. Mm. It, he's the same age right now yeah. as Booch. I think I would rather have Booch because there's more of an upside with Booch. Shifley? Oh, Booch. I mean, those I, are the top I, guys I'm, on the market. I think I'm thinking more like William Nylander. Like that. I would rather name. have Booch. I'm not kidding. I would rather have Pavel Buchnevich than William. But Nylander again, that comes down a to contending team. That comes down to the development of some of these younger guys. Brandon Montour. He's defense, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's the top left-handed defenseman. I think he's a guy that had really one great year with Florida. So, so th- this, this is. This I is just the hard gave part. you the, the reason why I bring all of the, those names up. That's the top end of the market. And if your answer is I would rather have Pavel Buchnevich than any of the guys that I just mentioned. Well, then just keep Pavel Buchnevich. Yeah. Might have to. And don't worry about what's out there available to yeah. you on the open market. Don't get that wandering eye. Just stick with what you yeah. got. Frankly, your top your top line of Kairou, Thomas, and Buchnevich might be the top line that can keeps you competitive and builds towards that Stanley Cup window. What you just said there with Thomas, though, that's where I think it gets interesting. See, I, I do wonder how much Buchnevich's future in St. Louis is tied to Thomas's development. Because if you need to go out there and get a number one centerman, I don't know that you can sign the number one center and keep Pavel Buchnevich here long-term. If that cap's going up $10 million by 2025, might be able to do both. See, Maybe. I, I was going to bring up a question because you mentioned that top line of Thomas, Cairo, and Buch. And I don't think Thomas falls into this category. I think his kind of fork in the road moment is, is he a number one center or do we have to look for a number one center? I don't think his yeah. fork in the road is, okay, he's either with us or he's gone. My question to you guys is, does Kyra fall into that conversation? Oh, Kyra absolutely falls into For, that conversation. And none of us mentioned him. And he was, BK said, I got two forwards. I said, oh, I wonder if it's the same two that I've got in my head. Well, I just, it's the last year that he hasn't, he doesn't have a no yeah. trade clause, right? Yeah. Uh, it starts in the, in that 25 okay. year. So, so he's got, got this years. year and next year, but yeah. next year would be the year. If, if he doesn't take that step that the blues were pretty adamant about where who's our top paid players that aren't performing on the ice. Hey, we've got a locker room issue. Hey, we need Kyra to have a better off season. This is the fork in the road year for Jordan Kyrou. Frankly, I think it's a fork in the road year for both of them, and it's a good point, T Bone. Because like, if Kyrou hey, doesn't I mentioned it about Thomas, no, you didn't. I didn't. Re- I didn't hear that. Sorry. <laughs> Just giving you credit. Uh, Kyrou, if Kyrou can't be a top line winger, how is he? How is he the pillar for your team moving forward? Just because he can score forty goals, which is great, but you're, you're if he he's, if you're paying him this money, he's got to be playing. 18, 19 minutes a night like the number one wingers are in the NHL. His contract will be a steal as the cap goes up. The problem is, is, is it is one of those where it, it, the problem with Cairo is, okay, how much is the offense going to outweigh the defensive issues? Yeah. And that's the biggest question they have. The, qu- the question that you just had about Jordan Cairo, by the way, is the same question that Toronto is asking right now about William Nylander. Yep. Like the reason why they are considering, do should we bring him back on a long-term deal? Do we not? Is... 
all of the stuff about whether or not he's a top line winger and whether he can be a two way player. Does he fall to the wayside coming wh- into the postseason? Like, but what's wild about that is they're comparing him to keeping him or Austin Matthews, and I don't think you're doing that here with Jordan Cairo. It's Jordan Cairo, or we're going to have to go out there and trade for something. Whereas they have the obvious answer with Austin Matthews. Like we're going to stick with that and Mitch Marner more than us worry about William Nylander because Nylander was their best player in the playoffs this year. But they just don't want to pay him $10 million. In the past, he has not been. But they don't want to pay him $10 million when you're already paying the other two guys that are better than William Nylander more money. The problem with Cairo is you're supposed to be the top dog. And if you can't be our top dog, if we're paying you $8.5 million to be our second-line winger who we can't put out there against the top lines, what are we going to do? Because that's not how you build it. I would have the same question about Thomas. That's why they're both at that fork in the road. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, it's time for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we'll answer them next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. You guys have any questions? We will answer them, sports or otherwise, here on 101 ESPN. Uh, from the 618, Alex, when do you see Dvorsky as an or excuse me, when Dvorsky is an established pro, could you see the Blues contending with him as a legitimate elite shutdown center? Man, it's so hard to predict somebody to be an elite shutdown center. I could see him being a shutdown centerman for the Blues, and I could see a top six of Dvorsky and Robert Thomas. Of Thomas uses the second line center, and Dvorsky leapfrogs him in terms of using him in defensive roles. The issue there is you're talking three to four years from now before that, because let's just hypothetically and optimistically optimistically say that Dvorsky's on the team next year. There's still two years before that guy becomes an established centerman in the NHL. So yeah, I could absolutely see it, but I think you're about four years away. I could see it too. I, it's just, like you said, it's tough to kind of project that out. But I think you're right on about the timeline of when it would occur. About three to four, maybe even five years. Because it's going to take him time to establish himself at the NHL level. Because remember, Thomas was up in what, that 19 cup run team? It was 21. And he was centering the third line at the time. It was, well, no, he's a winger on the third line. Oh yeah, that's right. He was 20 20 or 21. And last, not two years ago was the first year we started to like actually say he's appeared on the show. Yeah. So I, I, I think it will take a some time if he's going to reach that level i think all of this stuff we push these guys to being something that they not that i'm saying that they are incapable of being this eventually but they're incapable of being right away like alex the two of us couldn't have run a show at the age of 20 years old wasn't i absolutely I, i remember i can go back and listen to the stuff that i did while i was at mizzou dude i was terrible and don't get me wrong like i've still got a lot of development to do i'm 30 years old turned 31 later this year and you're old but when I look back at what I was tw- 10 years ago, and this is for radio, that was horrible. Oh my God. Now think about when you're in hockey sense, like Jamie's talked about this a lot, how difficult it is to develop as an NHL defenseman 
It, it takes a long time to become a shutdown center. Look around the league, guys. Look at the guys that are in that category. Most of them are 26, 27, 28 years old at a minimum. So, yeah, can Dvorsky become that? Maybe, maybe eventually, and that's what the upside is. But it's probably going to take five, six, seven years. Most of the guys that are on the roster now won't be on it whenever Dvorsky becomes that kind of a player, if he becomes that kind of the player. The one type of player I could see him becoming is a Rope Hintz in Dallas, just because I think they profile very similar. Hintz is bigger, but they both play that two-way style, and Hintz has got offense. Hints didn't hit 37 goals, more than 30 goals, frankly, more than 20 goals until he was 25. And now he's had back-to-back seasons where he's been a 70-point producer with 37 goals. So you're talking about 25, and Dvorsky's 19 years old, so you got a little bit. It's going to be a minute. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything from the 314. BK, it sounds like Mizzou is going to be getting another big-time basketball player today on the recruiting scene. Any thoughts on what they are doing right now in the basketball recruitment side of things? Uh, Dennis Gates, man, he is... (laughs) He's amazing. And what you're watching right now is that he is putting together one of the best basketball recruiting classes that we have seen by Mizzou in like 15 years. He already has two four stars committed. There is expected to be one more that is added to the mix by the end of the day today. And Alex, they are also in on another four star out of Arkansas who is on the verge of potentially becoming a five star by the end of this recruiting cycle. So you could get at, at a minimum four four stars out of this recruiting class. Yeah, uh, that's super impressive. And maybe most importantly, the guy that's expected to commit today is like seven foot and 320 pounds. Oh, buddy. Yeah, they needed something like that. Last so year, you all got these, three four-star players. So when are all these guys projected? Like, are we still talking two years from now? I mean, they're in this year's recruiting class, so, so they, they would be signing by the end of May, and then they would be on campus next year for you. But, I mean, we know how recruiting works. Most of these guys would be good players for you. 2025-ish. Oh, man. Guys, so 20 years from now? I hope we're on the radio together because 2025 is going to be great. The Blues are going to be great. The Cardinals are going to be great. Mizzou's going to be great. Illinois, probably not so much. It's It's no. been impressive to watch what he's been able to do on the recruiting scene. T-Bone, I don't need, I don't need to hear your thoughts and your Debbie Downer out. All I am doing is just telling you the the warning that I would say of look at how Illinois felt about their recruiting class. I think it was last year. And I think three of the four are gone and that team never came together. And they, and they even brought you in guys the transfers. had a culture problem though, yeah. not Mizzou. M I Z. That could be a problem. Three one four three three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. Guys, what is your favorite sport? And are there any sports that are popular that you do not enjoy watching? Alex, what's your favorite? Sport? Favorite sport to watch or play? I, suck yeah, at I would all say of them. watch. That's I mean, probably what they're going for here. Yeah, I don't think they care your favorite sport to well, play. Why not, is man? It's ask us anything. How do you know? No, I suck at beer league softball. I need to stop that. Uh... Hockey, obviously, is probably my favorite to watch. Has been since I was like five years old. I don't know if I have a least favorite to watch. Probably tennis. Sorry, T-Bone. I've tried. And that's rough to watch. I'll watch an entire day of golf and be at least entertained. I I can't pull that off with with tennis. Um, My favorite to watch is baseball and and football. I, I think those are probably my two favorite ones to watch. I don't have probably a least favorite, but... 
to your point, you would think that because I played tennis that I would love watching it's tennis. It's boring, man. I, I can't watch tennis. It's now, tough. I did learn how to hit a drop shot on my backhand by watching tennis uh, at Wimbledon one year, and I learned just watching it just, oh, this is what I'm doing wrong. Here's how I can do it. But otherwise, I, I don't watch tennis that often. My dad will text me like during the big tournaments. Hey, who do you like for the U.S. Open? Oh, the U.S. Open's coming. I had no idea. It's like, you're not going to watch? No, I just, I played it, and I don't have interest in watching it. Curling's another good one. Oh, I love, <laughs> love watching me curling. some curling. My favorite sport to watch is football. Uh, that's what I played growing up. I wasn't particularly good at it, but I played it nonetheless. Um, I don't really have a least favorite sport to watch of the ones that we cover. Like, I would say the one that I have obviously the least background with is hockey because I didn't grow up in a city where hockey was like a main priority. It was football, baseball, and then basketball on the college side of things was obviously huge in Kansas City with KU and Mizzou. Um, but I would say hockey is the one that I have the least experience with. So that would be the one that is out of the sports that we cover my quote unquote least favorite, it's even though I enjoy watching that's it. How, it's also my favorite sport that we cover to watch in person. It's weird because baseball is not my least favorite to watch. Obviously in St. Louis, like you're born to love baseball. It was my least favorite to watch when I was younger, just because like hockey kept me entertained and do the new rules. I'm not kidding. I think have legitimately changed the game in terms of the enjoyment factor yeah. of watching baseball. Because when I was it's younger, so much better. my dad used to watch it from start to finish and I would just not, I couldn't be captured long enough to watch it because as a kid, there's other things to do. And as I got older, I got more into it. And then of course, covering them. But I mean, it's definitely changed now in terms of my attention towards them than what it used to be. I, I've said this on air before, before the new rules, I had to make a, a, another pot of coffee before watching a carpet yeah. game because they would take three and a half hours and long. it was the lack of an action. At least now it's like, sure, there is a little dead time, but it's not like for example, Libertor last night gets boys got about 20 seconds, fires the next pitch, and maybe something happens. Unlike previously, it was like Libertor could basically go down to the locker room, get a drink of water, come back, throw a pitch, go run and lap to center field, come back, throw a pitch. It was just too long, too much dead time. There would be times where last year I'd go for a run in like the sixth inning, I would be recording the the um, game at home, and by the time I would get back like 30 minutes later, it would be the next inning. Yeah. I would have missed one inning of baseball. I mean, that's that's that can't happen. Doing, and it doesn't happen anymore, really. Doing Unless those, there's like a ton of action that is packed into that 30 minutes. Doing those pre and post games for the longest time at KMOX, like it's tough to keep your attention towards that because like you're doing the pregame, you're doing all the prep for it. You finally get a breath, but it's like, I got to watch this, but it takes so long. Those nine o'clock games, I will take nine o'clock hockey games over nine o'clock baseball games any day of the week in the old rules. It's one of the best changes that has been made in terms of just one rule change in yeah. any sport that I can remember in terms of just the pure enjoyment of watching the game. What they did this year with baseball has been tremendous. Coming up next, if the Cardinals acquired a pitcher at the deadline, that had the exact same history as Matthew Liberator does. How would we view him in the Cardinals' long-term plans? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So let me throw this hypothetical out there for you guys. The Cardinals go into the offseason and they acquire a pitcher who was a top 50 prospect in all of Major League Baseball, right? Win. Done. Mark it. 
this season while he was in AAA, he had a 3.7 ERA through about 60 innings and was striking out 11 batters per nine innings. This guy's only 23 years old. He throws 96, 97 is where he tops out on his fastball. He has what scouts deem to be a 60-grade curveball. He's got a changeup that he mixes in every once in a while. He's got the potential to be a five-pitch mix. Probably best upside is a number three starter for you. But again, 23 years old, has had a cup of coffee at the big leagues already, and this season at the AAA level as a top 60-ish prospect in Major League Baseball, had a 3.7 ERA with 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Your thoughts on the Cardinals acquiring that pitcher to be a back-end starter with upside in this offseason is what? We would be cueing the celebration song on BK and Ferrario. All of us would be singing good vibrations by the Beach Boys if they pulled that trade off. An A++. What was everybody complaining about at the deadline? You're not getting any top 100 baseball prospects. You need to be getting top prospects. First of all, you're not getting those for the guys you traded. But if they did accomplish that, people would be ecstatic. I think people would be ecstatic. I think they would look at it and go, hey, you got to win, especially if it was like you acquired him for a rental. I think people would look at that and go, hey, you want an arm with upside. You want a guy that's a top 100 prospect and a guy that, based on what you just said, looks like he profiles well because he's having success in AAA and he's had a cup of coffee at the big league. So I think that would be viewed as a win. Are we talking about Roby right now? Is that who we're talking about? Roby? That's who we're getting excited about? No. Who are we talking By about? Way, did, then, man? Did, we, didn't. did we uh, d- determine if this was a left-handed or right-handed pitcher? Oh, so well, if it's I just described the left team. Oh, oh I know. Let me describe another favorite. pitcher for you, though. Cardinals love that. It's another top 100 prospect. Hey, we're getting two of them. He's got a 70 grade slider. Profiles as a guy that could be probably a number three pitcher. Had Tommy John this year, but last year basically had the exact same profile that I just mentioned. 24 years old, right-handed pitcher, former first-round draft pick. Again, top top 100 prospect pedigree. What's the size? Uh, he is six foot, so he's, he's a little little on the slider side. Tiny. But Not a fan. 195 pounds, six foot. Again, fastball slider combo. Pretty solid. Number three upside. 95, 96 in terms of his fastball. Can I abbreviate combo. his first name? No. I don't like this game because I know I'm going to fall for something that I've said before, and it's going <laughs> to come back to bite me. It's BK's game. This guy's Max Meyer that I just mentioned. Oh, Ooh. I don't remember talking about him. Yeah, he was uh, the Marlins guy, correct? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Everybody was excited about him. And then, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he the one that was, was traded? No, that was... Um, oh, uh, Eater. That, that was, was Eater. Eater. Yeah, that was the other one we talked about. Max Meyer would be a great kid by the Cardinals this offseason. Be betting on upside there. He was the exact same prospect status a year ago as Matthew Libertor. That first pitcher, of course, that I mentioned was Libby this season. But what have you done for me lately, BK? Exactly. The problem with Matthew Libertor is that we watched him fail. If he had simply spent the entirety of the 2023 season down in the minor leagues, never pitched in the big leagues this year, did not throw a single pitch until yesterday, do you know how much differently we would be viewing him right now? Because every time he goes down to AAA this year, he's had a lot of success down there for the most part. 3.7 ERA, striking out a bunch of batters. He's um, having real success in terms of limiting contact against him. He has a little bit of a walk problem down there, but it's not anything that is exorbitant. He's got some of the same issues. as Fastball velo starts to drop as he gets later into games, and sometimes the curveball isn't landing the way that you'd expect, as you would think with a 23-year-old starting pitching prospect from the left side. 
Matthew Libertor is exactly the type of pitcher that we want the Cardinals to bet on. He is. He's got all the prospects pedigree. He is the type of player that you look at at the deadline and you say to yourself, hey, if the Cardinals are going to trade Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery or Jordan Hicks, you know what I would like to see them acquire? The equivalent of Matthew Libertor. So they have him internally, but we don't view him the way that we do TK Roby or some of these fun, exciting, new, shiny toys that they just got in at the trade deadline. Even though, let's be honest, Matthew Libertor has as much upside as anybody currently in the system not named Tink Kent. And I am including every single player that they traded for this year. Matthew Libertor has more upside than any player that was traded at this year's trade deadline. Every single one of them that are prospects has less prospect pedigree than Matthew Libertor has right now for the St. Louis Cardinals. So the reason why I bring all of this up is because I know it has been an ugly season watching Libby this year. But what you saw yesterday is why you dream about the prospect status. What you saw yesterday is why you look at 2024 as maybe Matthew Libertor can still be our number five starter. And if you had acquired him instead of watching him fail and he had the exact same numbers in the big leagues and in AAA this year, you'd say Cardinals will fix him. They could get him to be that number five starter with Tanner's upside of being a number three next year. He could be next year what Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are this year for the Seattle Mariners. And if that's the case, then that's a win for the Cardinals. The reason that people are so skeptical, I guess, of it is because of the player that went the other way. And it sucks because if you put anybody's name that's not Randy Rosarena there, if you're trading a pending free agent for one of those guys, people are celebrating Matthew Libertor or they're still looking towards the future of Matthew Libertor. But because Randy A surfaced faster than Libertor did, which position players do faster than pitchers. Yeah. It's just how it goes. It's like forwards and hockey over defensemen. They just they're they're better quicker. Then I don't think people are whining as much about Matthew Libertor's struggles because it's like, well, we know that this is going to take a little bit longer. Maybe that's the mindset people need to have with him. And maybe that's the mindset that we suffered that we lost for a little bit in the beginning of the season of pitchers just take longer to develop. And I, I think you are right on uh, on about, you know, it's because we've seen him. I also think it is, too, that in the sample sizes that we have seen him, really yesterday was the first time you really saw something that it was like, well, that's what you can build on. Maybe you can argue you can argue that Milwaukee start he had when he first got called up here. But outside of that, every other start he's had has been kind of the same. And I think that's where some of that comes from, where I, I think you see this a lot with – I've said this about Nolan Gorman when he got called up last year. And I think some people thought Gorman's rookie year was a disappointment. Why? Because he was doing exactly what we're talking about, putting up great numbers in AAA. Everybody thought that would translate because of his prospect status to the major leagues. And he's just not that guy against major league pitching. But you saw spurts of Nolan Gorman where it was, wow, I see signs of what they've talked about. And then there were the lows where he struggled. And then he made the adjustment. You went, oh, wow, I can see what the Cardinals are talking about. I think with Libby, for the most part, outside of yesterday, was the first time that you've really seen – oh, wow, I can see why he was a top 100 prospect. Because I've said before, and this is to the point of what you're saying of, it's because we've seen him fail here in St. Louis. I've said on air and behind the scenes here in our building, he reminds me of Luke Weaver, where it was always had prospect pedigree, and it was always, okay, I just don't understand the hype. I haven't seen why there is hype. Yesterday I saw the hype for the first time, and now I can dream on what Matthew Libertor can be. Somebody from the 314 said, BK yesterday told us all that Libertor is horrible and has no chance of being a starter. Today he said that Libby is a future starter. I think that the the truth is actually somewhere in between. Yesterday I said that Matthew Libertor, I basically said what Tanner just said, Matthew Libertor hasn't shown us in the big league sign of him being a future starter, and therefore the likelihood is he's going to have to be a reliever at this level if he's going to be up next year. 
Yesterday changed that. Guys, sometimes it's okay as new information presents itself to change your opinion on subjects. No, man, you have to be right when you say it. Uh, that's fair. I, I think it's still likely that Matthew Liberator long-term is a reliever for you or is a number five starter that you're not thrilled about and by the trade deadline you're looking to upgrade from. I, I think that's that's where I would still stand on his development personally. But I think that's true for a lot of guys in his spot. I think Matthew Liberator showed you yesterday why you continue giving him starts down the stretch. And if he shows you more of that, and it looks more like yesterday than it has what it was earlier in the season, then you should come into next year. And he is the favorite, not written in pin, but the favorite to be your number five starter going into the season. And you just start him every fifth day. And you say, you know what, if it ends up being a four five or a five ERA, we'll live with that. We're okay with that. That's what Bryce Miller and Brian Wu are right now for the uh, Mariners. Those guys have not been lights out for them. They've been below league average starters so far this season. We dream on them and we get excited about the upside. They've been below average by every metric relative to major league starters in 2023. Somebody on the text line also said, hey, guys, I think it would be interesting if you took a look at how Libby compares right now with what Brian Wu and Miller were as prospects. The reason why it is difficult to do so is because Matthew Liberator was a prep prospect. So he was drafted out of high school and was 18 years old in his first year in the race system. And right now he is 23 years old. Brian Wu and Bryce Miller accelerated right through the prospect system for the Mariners. They were both drafted out of college. Brian Bryce Miller was, was drafted out of college in 2021 at the point that he got to the big leagues or the minor leagues, I guess, for the Mariners. He was 22 years old. This year, he's 24. He took a year and a half to get through their system. So it, it's just a different path. He's 24 years old right now. Next year, Matthew Liberator will be 24 years old. So it, I can't do a one-for-one -one comparison there because their paths were so remarkably different. And the same thing is true from Brian Wu. Brian Wu dominated this year down in AA and was called up straight from AA. So he never even touched AAA baseball for the Mariners. Matthew Liberator spent the last two years, really three years, down in AAA for the Cardinals. But Brian Wu's 23 years old. He's going to be 24 next year. Same thing will be true for Matthew Liberator. We'll see. We'll see which side you would rather bet on long term. But it is absolutely possible that Libby ends up being better next year for the Cardinals than Wu or Miller are for the Mariners. That shouldn't surprise anybody if that ends up being the case. And so that's why for me, when we talk about those two guys and we talk about trading like a Nolan Gorman or a Brendan Donovan or Lars Snoopar for one of those two pitchers, I say, uh-uh, I would just rather bet on Matthew Liberator going into next season. If I'm going to go with a young upside pitcher, bet on what you have internally that he's going to continue getting better as opposed to getting rid of your proven position player talent going into the 2024 season. That's where I stand on that personally. T-Bone, are you feeling like you're... I was just going to let him keep if cooking. You were about to say wrong, weren't you? <laughs> no, if you... I saw it. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not. If you see more of what we saw yesterday from Libby, not eight innings scoreless, like that... Well, that's I'll take that, though. Of course. New standard. If you see better stat, stats from Libby the rest of the way, will you start betting on him as your number five starter going into next year i would because it means i've seen adjustments and that's always the big key for me is yeah it could be ugly when you get up here to the big leagues whether it's a pitcher or a hitter or you could just start off really hot like nolan gorman did eventually baseball is going to figure you out how do you adjust to it and if he shows that he can make the adjustment which i didn't see last year and we really didn't see up until the point of yesterday then yeah i i'm willing to say 
okay, I, I think what you said is right. I'm not writing him in pen. He's the favorite for the fifth spot. In fact, I'm still looking to upgrade the fifth spot. I'm still looking if if Carlson, if you're trading Carlson, you can get a Clark Schmidt-esque pitcher for him. That's the number five. Agreed. And Libertor is a depth piece for you that's in the I, minor leagues. And I, I, I don't... I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, he's proven it. He should be here. You know what? The more pitching I have depth-wise, the better. And if that means Libertor has to start in the minors as a, the sixth man, or hell, even in the bullpen as a long reliever that gets spot starts when someone goes down in the rotation, which will happen, by the way, that's the way I would go about it. But, yes, I, I can buy back into Libertor if I continue to see the things we saw yesterday. The velo remains up. He's got swing and miss. The curveball is landing. Why? Because he's playing it off the fastball. Honestly, I think the next big pitch for him is the changeup. Is How's the changeup look? I think it's looked fairly good. And how's his command look? I, th- there's a lot of things to watch outside just stats for Libertor. But, yes, I can be bought back in on Matthew Libertor. I don't think anybody is going to change my mind about being the number 5 starter next year, but all of them are in the competition sure. for it. I, if I can spend spend less than $10 million on a guy to bring in to be the number five and then have it an open competition. That guy might lose his job in spring training or make a trade for somebody to come in who could be it. Nobody is going to get their name etched in pen for number five, because frankly, if I do that, I still have questions. I mean, as great as Steven Matz has been, I'm still a little concerned that it's not going to be there all season next year. And that's two out of my five rotation spots. So I need a little bit more competition before I can just etch somebody's name in I totally pen. agree with you on that from the three one four. So if you guys see him flop in the next eight game, would you turn again and say that he is a reliever? No, this is why you're doing this right now. I am reacting to what we saw last night. My reaction is holy bleep. That is unlike anything that we have seen so far from Matthew Libertor, and it allows you to dream. Yeah, welcome back that, to the conversation. That was the type of start that you need to see to believe he can be a number three starter eventually again. If he continues to do that, Oh, buddy, uh, I'm going into the offseason and I'm not signing a number five starter because I'm getting him into that competition with Dakota Hudson and with some of the other guys that are internal options down in AAA for you right now, McGreevy, Graceffo, et cetera, and hoping that one of them takes that and runs with it. And if not, we'll cycle through those guys and we'll just play the game of the Memphis shuttle for our number five spot in our rotation. Cardinals aren't the only team that'll be doing that next year. Really good contenders do that. The Dodgers did it this year. So that's where I would be at if he continues. If he flops, I will say, hey, this is the downside of going with a young starter. He's going to have games like that. And you hope that he's able to recover from it, learn from it, see what he did that was wrong, and then go correct it in the next outing. That's what the rest of this season is all about, is finding out what you have in him. So I'm going to look at it now as you had the one start that you needed to dream on it. And now the rest of the season, we get to see how he's able to maintain that status as the potential number five starter in 2024. Coming up next, the problem that the Cardinals are going to run into this offseason, Alex, is that the rest of baseball views your targets the same way that you do. What does that mean for Mo and his aggressiveness? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. need to do this offseason alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we got this text guys I agree with your options at the number five spot but I'd also need to see them get a number one and a number two from outside the organization totally agree darn tootin get the competition for the number five spot I've got no issues with that a bunch of teams do it the Braves did it this year Dodgers did it this year you see legitimate contenders that don't have a real confirmed solid plan with their number five spot Honestly, until you get to the trade deadline. If your internal options don't work out, go get Michael Lorenzen. If your internal options don't work out, go get Jordan Montgomery or Jack Flaherty. 
It's what a lot of contending team, teams do around that time of the year. But it all requires you to have the front end starting pitching to make it work. So, Alex, yesterday I was watching MLB Central. It's on MLB Network. They do a good job, I think. And they were talking about the free agent market this upcoming offseason. They asked what I thought was a very intriguing question. Other than Shohei Otani, who do you believe to be the most intriguing, the most coveted free agent this year? I'm going to let you hear what two of the hosts on MLB Central had to say. The first is Mark DeRosa. I have a list for you, and you need to make a decision. One big leaguer who will be the most coveted non-Shohei Otani free agent. For me, it's Aaron Nola. Okay, because he can pitch to a one, and if he goes to another team that has a one, he can pitch to a two. He's getting one of the first two games in any postseason rotation. And this is a guy that can pitch with velocity. He could also pitch without velocity. He posts every time. You never have to worry about who's getting the ball every five days. That's what I want. I want a guy who walks in the door and I know exactly what I'm getting. Aaron Nola, it's going to cost you. Yeah, but I like him. Man, when I hear the phrase, it's going to cost you, the first team I think of is the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah, nice. Like, yes, Cardinals got him. So, Aaron Nola, most coveted free agent not named Shohei Otani for Mike, Mark DeRosa. Great. Well, that's one Cardinals target that is on the top of the, the list. All right, Flo, who you got? Who's not your Snow. most coveted free agent not, not named Shohei? Not I'm going to go Blake Snell. Son of a uh, The two-time defending... You winner trust, of the you pitch trust him long term? You guys are risky. I, I am. He's pitching great money. right now. I I, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I wish that we could find a way for him to go deeper into games. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that can happen. But man, I, I love his stuff, and he's pitched in big moments and pitched well. Yes, he has. I don't give Until a Kevin Cash pulled him out of the game, then yeah. he didn't do well. Right, I don't so give a damn if he's not going deep. I've got my handy dandy list over yeah. here. All right, the free Steve. agent Does that say you need bread? According, no, that's on the back. Oh, uh, my free agent list of the top tier pitchers from Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager. By the way, he'll join us on Monday on the show. Nice. Tier one, Shohei Otani. We crossed him off. He's not an option but here, unfortunately. Why? Tier two, Blake Snell, Julio Urias. We crossed him off the list. Off field stuff, and Aaron Nola. So the two most coveted free agents not named Shohei Otani, according to MLB Network are the two guys that we said you got to get one of them here in St. Louis to be the number one starter for you in St. Louis next year. Alex, how does that make you feel? It's great. It means the Cardinals are up for competition. They're up for the battle. It's like deal or no deal. You have to give Aaron Nola the right deal, and the Cardinals will survive. Okay. Gloria Gaynor. I will survive. Great song. Yeah, I know. Mo's listening to it in his room right now. I bet he is. I don't feel good about that, BK. That means they're going to shop in tier three or tier freaking four. Yamamoto, Gray, Giolito. There's your number one starter, one of those three next year. Oh, and they'll be <laughs> and they'll be the next list that's highly coveted around Major League Baseball when the so other two. So now we're go. down to Paxton, Maeda, and Severino. And welcome to the <laughs> Cardinals offseason and then explaining to me why Matthew Libertor showed that he could be a number three. T Bone, your thoughts on those two guys being listed as the most coveted free agents not named Shohei Otani? Well it's not great, PK. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> not great, Bob. Uh, I mean those guys are right on and and this is where we talk about the Cardinals model changing and I and the model and I think I said this at the time of yes the model changing is they need to get swing and miss stuff 
And they should not care if Snell's only going five innings because when he goes five innings, my goodness, that is good stuff Unless you're going to be watching. Unless he walking a lot of guys. Did you I just don't know care. that Aaron Nola has allowed more runs this year than any other starting pitcher in Major League Baseball? Not that up there. Really? Bad How is that possible? <laughs> Bad because defense. he's pitched a bleep ton of innings. I was going to say, because I would think his ER would be up there with like Lynn, who I also, saw start tonight with Also, he leads the league in six. home runs. Well, that's, yeah, in a, well, that's in a smaller ballpark. Yeah, well, yeah, our ballpark is a pitcher-friendly yeah. park. I'm just uh, giving you the facts. But I'm just I, giving you the reasoning behind the facts. <laughs> the, the model change that the Cardinals have talked about isn't just swing and miss. It's how they're going to pay starting pitching. And they're going to have to go out there, and they're going to have to win a bidding war. And they're going to have to get back into the bidding war like they occurred with David Price. Now, they lost that. This time, they've got to win that bidding war. They can't just go, well, all right, well, this was our best offer on the table. No, you're going to have to top your best offer on the table, probably. You're going to have to go out there, and you're going to have to outbid a team like the New York Yankees, who will probably target Blake Snell. You're going to have to go out there, and you're going to have to outbid the L.A. Dodgers, who might be in on the Blake Snell market. You're going to have to go out there and probably outbid the San Diego Padres, who are willing to spend and get on Blake you Snell. You haven't said Aaron Nola. Sounds like the Cardinals are right there. Well, I'm I'm assuming Snell's probably the top target for most of these See, teams. Here's where I'm at with this. I don't care that they're the two highly coveted free agent pitchers out there and that it's going to be tough for the Cardinals. You did this to your- You've had multiple seasons where you could have gone out and went after a starting pitcher and added him to your crop so you weren't saying this or making trades, and you didn't. And so now you've backed yourself into a corner where you have two pitchers next year, you have depth that you may or may not be confident in, and everybody wants these pitchers. That sucks, but guess what? You're going to have to fork over the amount of years and money that you need to because otherwise you're going to be doing the same dance next year. So... I agree with you, Alex, completely. Couldn't agree with you anymore. I also think it could have this consequence for the Cardinals. When you end up having mo- the most coveted players on the market, you typically have to add a year, maybe two years, and a little extra on the AAV in order to get them to come to you, right? You're winning the bidding war. How do you do that? Well, you increase your offer in years or uh, in money. Cardinals had to do that last year with Wilson Contreras. They had to do that with Dexter Fowler. We saw what the Padres did last year in order to land Xander Bogarts. You got to you got to get creative with some of these. And if you're going to get six years instead of four or five, maybe it's twenty eight million dollars instead of twenty five million dollars. I think you start to lean towards, okay, our risk is getting a little out of what we're comfortable with in terms of the money and the years for a starting pitcher. So we want to take the guy that is a little less risky in terms of his long-term profile. Blake Snell is a highly risky investment. And I say this as somebody that really likes Blake Snell. He leads the league in walks so far this year, Alex. He also is one of the best strikeout pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. But what does that look like when the velocity starts to tick down? When it goes, it goes. He's a lefty, which means that it's going to go down even quicker because 70% of the league is going to have a platoon advantage on him his entire career, and if he no longer has the velocity to blow it by him, whoo, buddy, it could go quick. And he's already somebody that only goes five, maybe six innings for you. This is how I think I get you get yourself to the place of, you know what, our best investment is actually Aaron Nola. And you could talk yourself into it this way. He's playing in a really difficult division right now in the NL East. He leads the league in home runs allowed. It's actually surprising. It's mostly not because of his ballpark. He's pitched better at home than he has on the road this year. I would have thought it would have been the opposite with the home run issue that he's run into. He consistently throws 180 to 220 innings for you. He posts every fifth day. And as a right-handed pitcher, we think he's going to age better because of his size, because of the everything that goes along with him in terms of his makeup. 
Aaron Nola feels like the guy that you bet on long term with the risk that is associated with having to win a bidding war, much more so to me than Blake Snell. So if this is true, that these guys are going to be highly sought after on the market and we have no reason to believe that it's not, I think Aaron Nola is the side that they would be more willing to get uncomfortable betting on. And if you don't want to do that for the second starting pitcher, then go to tier four. Go get one of those guys that you're not making as big of a risk for that might be the Lucas Giolito or that might be the Sonny Gray. Or go get the Japanese pitcher that we've talked about to where you're getting young for five years, but you need to make that you need to take that risk on one pitcher. And that's this tier two that we've talked about. You need to be risky in one of those. And that's why I just like Aaron Nola. I think there's more elements that work in your favor of being risky with that type of player than a Blake Snell or a Julio Urias. Yeah, I, I can see where they end up talking themselves into Aaron Nola. And I don't even know how much it is truly talking themselves into it because he is a good pitcher. But it is a matter of one of those of, okay, is, if he is Michaelis plus, which is what Eno Saris said when he was on our show earlier this week, is that the guy you really want to give six, seven years to? Is that the guy, instead of banking on swing and miss stuff, that sure, when it goes, it could be ugly, but banking on that and getting a guy that is truly a top-end starter, that's where I would go. I would be willing to extend myself for that, even though the risk is five times higher than it probably is on a Aaron Nola, who even if his stuff starts to deteriorate, he's got good command. You know he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to take the ball for you every day, but do I really want to extend myself on that guy? That would be my question. Uh, maybe. I I mean, who would you say is this year so far that's Texas Rangers' number one starter? Well, it was Evaldi until he got hurt. You would say Evaldi, right? Yeah. We would all agree. Do I think Evaldi is better than Aaron Nola? I don't. I think Aaron Nola is a better pitcher than than Nathan Evaldi has been. Evaldi's one of those where I don't know how you would classify him. When he has his stuff working, he is a elite pitcher and I think I could say the same thing about Aaron Nola though I mean he did it last year when, when Aaron Nola's stuff is working I think he can be an elite pitcher and we talked about this yesterday or last week with uh Eno Saris as well man he, he has always underperformed his expected numbers and I do think that has to do with where he plays because that ballpark does play a little bit more hitter friendly it's really hard to pitch there um, especially when it comes to the long ball and triples is a problem there as well. So I do wonder if you end up getting a better version of Aaron Nola than what we have seen so far in his career out in Philadelphia. Is it scary to sign an over 30 pitcher to a six-year deal? Absolutely. It's terrifying. Freaking terrifying. But that's what's going to be required of you if you're going to go down this path. It would be, to me, scarier to sign Blake Snell to that deal because of the profile that Blake Snell brings to the table. I would celebrate them if they decide to do it, but you do so with the understanding of, dude, three years from now, this guy might have to be put into the bullpen to be able to keep that velo up and to have a guy that actually like can have a role for you long term, or he's just he's a number like four or five starter three four years down the line. I'm not projecting that, but it's possible. You have to take that into account as to what you could be signing there. By the way. We've talked a lot about Yamamoto as maybe one of the options for the Cardinals. Did you guys see Ken Rosenthal's yeah. piece today? Yeah, he's going to be one of the most sought-after pitchers in free agency. And then it the comes free down. agent pitcher who probably makes the most sense for the New York Mets is Yamamoto, according to Ken Rosenthal. Well, okay. Well, you're you out. And write him off. <laughs> Coast him and off the money. List, yeah, you're done. But I thought the Mets weren't contending next year. I thought they were going for 2025. Well, they want him because he's 25 years old. Yeah, and so they, he could be good for them when they're contending yeah. well, again two, three, four years. Back and he'll to, get similar to what 
Senga got back to Imanaga. Yep, the secondary going in the Japanese going, pitcher. We're going snorkeling, Mikey. Looking forward to it. Coming up yep. next, let's get yep. into some NFL quick hitters. It's the first full weekend of the NFL's preseason. What are we watching for? And some quick hitting fantasy action for you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Quick hitters with Alex and T-Bone on BK. Guys, the guy that I'm looking forward to most this weekend, you're going to be surprised probably whenever you hear this. It's the first full weekend of preseason in the NFL. I hate preseason football, but there are a couple of things that I think you can take from it. I really want to see what Desmond Ritter looks like in this Atlanta Falcons offense. Because I think the Falcons are going to win the NFC South going into this year. And you look at the weaponry that he has around him. Sean Robinson, really good offensive line. Drake London, Kyle Pitts. That offense should be very good this season for me, for fantasy reasons, and for the Falcons being my team to beat in the NFC South. That's the number one player that I'm watching for this weekend. Who do you have your eyes on going into the first weekend of the full NFL preseason slate? If I'm not mistaken, Deshaun Watson is starting that game for Cleveland. I would anticipate that. I'm very curious to see that. Not because I'm rooting for him at all, but I want to see if what we saw last year was the start of the decline of Deshaun Watson. And if not, was that just a lot of noise on the outside that affected his game? I'm curious because if he stinks, that team is going to be competing for Caleb Williams in the in this season. Like they've got the weapons, but Deshaun Watson, you put all of your eggs in that basket. So I'm going to be curious to see how that works. I'm watching Anthony Richardson. He's going to get the oh, start for yeah. the Colts. Oh I'm, hell yeah! I'm fascinated yeah, to see what he looks yeah, like because I if he struggles against third stringers, man, you're in for a rough year. And I think he's a guy that I mean we talked about it yesterday or two days ago. Is he someone that you take late in fantasy drafts just for that upside? Yeah, but if he struggles against third stringers, I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant to take him in fantasy football. So I'm fascinated to see what he looks like in his first career NFL start in week one of the preseason. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Next thing up that I wanted to get to is, guys, the other day it was made official that Kareem Hunt has officially signed with the New Orleans Saints. Does this change at all your look on the New Orleans Saints backfield going into the year? I, I think it does because I, I think there's already a ton of question marks with it. And I don't think that helps. I mean, like you're starting what three games without Alvin Kamara and him not signing there basically means that you're going to be using some type of, I don't even know who their depth running backs are. Jamal Williams, they signed or they drafted Kendra Miller this year as well. Okay. So it'll be Williams, Miller and Kareem. Hunt so maybe you get a little, maybe you get a little bit of that Kendra Miller there, but I just, I'm not I'm not as big on Kareem Hunt. I think Kareem Hunt had that like But do does it change your perspective on Alvin Kamara? No, because I think he goes back to being the lead back, and then I think they're gonna try to do what Cleveland had success with, and I just don't think that's gonna work. I it changes it, for me. Like I, I am now more hesitant to draft Alvin Kamara because Kareem Hunt is there as a pass catching option. And a lot of Alvin Kamara's value comes from true. his avil- ability as a pass but catcher. But if Alvin Kamara's back they're going to be using him. They've always been a little hesitant to utilize him on every down. Yeah, they, They've been hesitant to do that because of his frame. So I would wonder, are you going to see more of Kareem Hunt than you would of Jamal Williams? 
Jamal Williams is a grinder. That's a dude that you use in like third and short and goal line situations. So that's going to potentially be taken away from Kamara. And then you're going to potentially use Kareem Hunt on third down as a pass catcher and a pass blocker. Don't love what that means potentially for Alvin Kamara's fantasy outlook. Yeah, I'm kind of torn because I I think you're right on where Hunt is going to take some of that third down passing situations from him. But then I kind of think to myself, okay, well, he's getting three games off. How fresh will he be coming out of that? Like, that's always something to look for is, okay, he's getting three days off. Is that going to be something where, like, the first couple weeks he comes back? Sure, he maybe he's not in the passing game, but can he take that next step in the running game because his legs are fresher for those three weeks that he was off? So I'm kind of torn. I would probably be one of those where I would wait and even probably draft him below. If he drops below where he's kind of sitting now in fantasy and he gets a round past that, maybe I go, okay, now it's time for me to reach for him. But I would be very hesitant still. Uh, guys, the there was a report yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. The San Francisco 49ers, had they won the NFC Championship, were planning to play in the Super Bowl with a quarterback who had not taken a snap in the entire 2022 season. His name, Philip Rivers. Incredible. Those 17 kids need more money. So... Head coach Kyle Shanahan came out yesterday at his press conference and said, yeah, we were prepared to do that. That's stuff we talked about throughout the entirety of the season. We would have had to see how that worked for the Super Bowl, but that was the plan for most of the year if we ended up in that situation when asked about whether or not they would have signed Phillip Rivers for the Super Bowl. Would this have been one of the most bizarre storylines that we've ever seen in the history of sports? Is a guy coming out of retirement to play for a team he had never been on before in the Super Bowl. Because who was he taking the job from? Well, all of their quarterbacks were hurt. Remember? Because Brock Purdy got well, hurt. I know Brock Purdy. Josh Johnson got hurt. Who was the next one up? Like, Josh they didn't Johnson. Have, oh, Josh Johnson. And then he got hurt too. Yeah, that would have been. And if they would have won. Oh, man. People would be talking about that. That might have just solidified Phillip Rivers' Hall of Fame bid if he's already not in. If you just show up for one game in the Super Bowl and win it for that team. I'm upset it didn't happen because it would have been a great story. He could have had a statue built outside of that stadium in San Francisco had he won the Super Bowl, had this happened. So, I look, it would have been one of the weirdest stories. I can't imagine how, how that would have had success because Rivers is a quarterback that was always a – gunslinger going to throw it down the field and he's in an offense that he hasn't really learned playing in his first game with guys that he doesn't have any sort of connection with god that would have been awesome i i could not you want to talk i'm not sure what would have been worse going into the super bowl with no quarterback or going into the super bowl with philip rivers i think they would have been about equal <laughs> i think it would have been awesome i i think it would have been great did i get catfished did kareem hunt not sign no i no, i was say, wondering I that because when you asked the question i said I started talking like he wasn't there yesterday from pro football talk that he was expected to sign with the he met with the Colts. I know that, but I thought that he had gone back and re. That is my apologies, guys. I fell for a. Well, that's why I started explaining like without him. I blame Mike Florio for this. This is on me for not double checking my facts. Mike Florio of pro football talk. Put me into a bad spot. You know here. what? Shame on T Bone and I, though. We followed along with well, it. Well, I just assume I missed Your the story. Your fearless leader messed up. This yeah. is on me. This I is why this he's one. not our damn fearless leader, Tanner. Oh, really? I, t- I take full responsibility here. Saw the story yesterday from Pro Football Talk, well, and I fell for well, it. See, he follows more NFL stuff than I That's do on social what I media. Did. Yeah. So, like, That's I, on me. I remember talking with BK the other day, like, what is this? He's going to go meet with the Colts. Yeah. So I just assume I missed I saw the, the story. story after he had met with the Colts. That's why when and I was. So I, 
when I asked on the me. depth and you said Kareem Hunt, I'm like, wait, I thought you said Kareem Hunt wasn't on this team. Yeah, no, that's on me. Okay. That's on me. See, this is what happens when you allow BK to be your fearless to leader. You, to Tanner, no, apologize to the, to the listeners right now, to everybody involved for wasting your time just as I wasted my time in reading that story from Pro Football Talk. That's on me. All right, let's give some fantasy advice, guys. If you could tell don't people, take Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I was going to say, don't take BK's <laughs> don't advice. Don't know where he's at yet. <laughs> he's at the Saints, don't you remember? <laughs> If you're playing in BK's league, he might be. Yeah, BK, be I think you should take Kareem Hunt in the second round because he's going to be yeah. the number one that back for the Saints. That should be your punishment right there. Yeah. you got to select Kareem Hunt in our fantasy yeah. league this year. Actually, you get the final pick in the draft. It's on me. I will take full responsibility for that. All right, guys. If you could take any of these running backs in the third round, who are you going with? Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins, Kenneth Walker. Who do you want? Ooh. Etienne, Hall, Dobbins, Kenneth Walker. Who do you want in the third round of your fantasy drafts at running back? I think I would go ETN, but Brees Hall's got that upside. And if Dalvin Cook's not signing there, I had Brees Hall last year before I got injured, and that man was a difference maker. Do we know if Dalvin Cook is signed? <laughs> Did he sign? Have we have we confirmed Dalvin Cook is Can not somebody signed? somebody get Mike Florio on the line, Damn please? Damn it, Florio. Come on. I would take Brees Hall, though. I think there's more upside with Brees Hall and being that, that game changer. I think I'd go Kenneth Walker. I, I think Seattle's going to get back. He's going to lose his job. I I think they're getting back to the old school. Let's pound, pound the, run the football. And he had over a thousand rushing yards last year. And I so I think he's going to be the guy that he. I think he keeps the job. And I think that they're going to use him to set up the passing game. Because let's be honest, as much as they probably would love to uh, sling it with their great wide receiver core, they've got Geno Smith at quarterback. Hey. And I know they wrote him off, and he didn't write back. Yeah. Well, he should write a letter to his running back that he's going to hand him the football a lot this so, year. So Seattle and Jacksonville both drafted running backs in the top three rounds this year. So they, they make me a little nervous in terms of the usage for ETN and with Kenneth Walker. I like both of those guys talent wise a ton. So I'll be drafting them a decent amount. Brees Hall is the guy that I love though, because they haven't, at least according to what I've seen, signed any <laughs> of the on. running backs that are available yet. Let me double check. I know that it, there's a real concern coming off of a, a significant knee yeah. injury last year. And if he doesn't get that explosiveness back, then you're going to regret drafting him in the third round. But the upside here is that Aaron Rodgers comes in, makes them into an above average offense, and the touchdown po- potential goes up significantly for Brees Hall. Aaron Rodgers ain't running in a whole lot of touchdowns, so you're not vulturing those away from him. I, I think Brees Hall is a really good fantasy pick for you yeah, this year. I, I I really like Brees Hall. Third round's just a little too rich for my blood. I get it. Because of that explosive. I think thing I'm still going about. wide receiver in the third round. I don't think I'm touching a running back unless it's like one I have to get late the first round until the fourth round. All right, next thing up here, let's get some wide receiver picks. George Pickens. Jahan Dotson, Michael Pittman, Rashad Bateman. This is a mid-round oh, wide receiver pick. God, Pickens, those are all awful. Dotson, Pittman, or Bateman. Which one do you want? I think I would go Pickens there. I, I'm. We've talked about why I don't draft Dotson because I don't want to watch that team this nope, season. No, um, I, Bateman. I had Bateman last year, and it was very. Dude, the foot injury, Inconsistent. I, I mean, even when he was back in that foot injury, like yeah. you said, he was just, they're not throwing to him. And now you're really not going to throw to him because you got OBJ and Zay Flowers. Yep. So it comes down to Pittman or Pickens, and I think the upside is better with a Pickens. I, I would love to go with Pickens But here. those are slim Pickens. He makes me so... <laughs> yeah, The jump drawer is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. 
brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. is not a fake news story. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about five minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash, so stay tuned for that. Uh, guys, Mizzou announced something yesterday, and T-Bone, I think you're going to be into this. Might even get you to a game for the Missouri Tigers this fall. I think I did see this. They have announced fan-friendly fan pricing for the 2023 football season. A bottle of soda used to cost you $6 at a Mizzou football game. You know what it's going to cost you this year? Two bucks. Two bucks for a bottle of soda. Water, same thing. Two dollars. Popcorn, two bucks. Hot dog, three dollars. Sorry, Tanner. T-Bone. A three dollar hot dog at Mizzou football games and a cheeseburger, just five dollars. I can get a footlong for a five dollars. At, not a, not at most sporting events. Sporting events is where you go for the prices event. to be just absolutely ridiculous. I, I will give Mizzou a little credit here. This is the type of thing. I think the Atlanta Falcons were the first team to test this, where they dropped their concession prices and actually saw an increase in profit. I'm surprised we don't see this elsewhere. Because what you're hoping for, what you're betting on is people will buy more of it. So you're already getting a little bit of revenue on everything, right? But what if that family that buys one bottle of soda because it was $6 ends up buying five bottles of soda for everybody to have one now because it's only two bucks. Like whatever, cool, we'll, we'll go ahead and get a bunch of them here. Or what about the family that used to bring in their own water, don't tell anybody, around their waistband, that now is actually buying them whenever they get there because it's two bucks and so whatever, we'll I'd just go ahead and get that. it when we get there. Still sticking in my pants and sneak it in. Man, I lived on that going to the movies for super long. I might have put what the movies out to at the movie theater. Um, we used to get KFC. We would open the side door. Oh, oh you go. I mean, it's not a go to, but nice. <laughs> my buddy and I brought an extra large Emo's pizza into a movie theater. See, there you he go. snuck wow. in. He got in, opened the door. I brought that in. I think we had like garlic bread too, and we just sat and opened them up. But I've done it all. I've done the Jack in the Box tacos. Sure. I've done the KFC. I've done chicken wings. I've done you get it all, that man. big old bucket. And you just set it in the middle. Whoever's got it, yep. and everybody's got a little but, bit. Of I mean, to the go-to was their... always. That doesn't even sound appealing to me to have. That oh, it's great. The go-to always was putting food in a Ziploc bag at home, stuffing it in your pants, and then walking. We in. Used, to, used to have my mom take it into the. Theater. Yeah, we did, but. We'd get the candy. We'd, we'd bring bo- a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, a lot of it would be bottles of soda. Say, it'd be candy. The, the most I ever, the only thing I ever did was candy. I'd sneak in some candy. Sure. Come on. I never brought what in this amateur or, or, or anything. No, really? Oh yeah, we used oh, to go yeah, to we go, go to the gas station I, and get a thing of soda. See, when I go to a movie theater, I don't get a soda that often because I want to sit through the whole movie and watch. Oh it. yeah, I don't oh, care about you that. You know what I used to I get? Choose chaos. Movie theater. I used to get those ices. Oh, I hate those. The the white cherry icy. I hate those. You can only get it one place. The people that the only me up, place you can get that is the movie theater. The it's pe- why you get a ballpark hot dog. You can't get a ballpark hot dog anywhere else. Well, that's not you true. Only get I can the ballpark. buy a ballpark hot dog nope. at your local schnooks and bring it home Doesn't, and grill it. It's not it. the same. Yeah. No, it's the exact same. It's not grilled at the ballpark. Not a ballpark hot dog. Sauerkraut on there. Put a little bit yeah. of mustard on there. Guys, I can make all that at home. No, you can't. Yeah, I can. Oh. Not the way that not the way that no, you do at the ballpark. No, I promise you, I can. T- Tanner, you're an what amateur you, with this stuff. You need to start sneaking more stuff into the movies. How do you think the reaction's going to be to this? 
I think it's going to be overwhelmingly positive. I think most, I think everybody should be doing this because if you want, if you want to sell more, make it more reasonable. Especially if you're 51 and 65 and out of a race in August. Well, absolutely. Did you see the story about the Cardinals tickets? Yeah. Kind of why I mentioned this. Would they drop them? Uh, Well, they haven't dropped them on the primary mark. Like, Coming from the Cardinals, I think they're same price. Katie keeps asking. Are. She's like, "When are we going to go? Because we want to take the girls to now the game." And the I said, "Well, go. so we'll go in September when they're out of it, and the tickets are five dollars. Well, they're there now. Yeah, the but it's still, it's still hot out, so cool off a little bit." I love this. I I have just so we're clear. I have planned this before this was announced or reported. I am going to a Mizzou football game this year. I don't know just because one. of the I don't dog. know which one yet, but are you, you're going to you're going to go to the one that's here. In St. Louis, aren't well, you? we talked about, but no, we were talking about going to a game in Mizzou too, okay. because I, last year was the first time I've been to an Illinois football game. So now we wanted to go to a Missouri football game before we start actually doing the exotic places like Georgia, Florida, you know, the ones that actually Those make, to you. Well, no, but I mean, like the stadiums that actually have a good environment and are, you know, Whoa. good football teams. Hey, hey. hey. respect, brother. Did hey. you see that environment for Mizzou versus Georgia last year at? Yeah, Faro sure. Field. Sure, it would be nothing Memorial compared to Stadium like a, at Field. until they choked the lead in that one. It'd be nothing like a Florida LSU battle in the swamp. I would go to the K State game. That'll be a fun one. We've talked about that one, and we've talked about who's the uh, uh, they have Florida LSU at fun. home. Florida. That was the one we've talked about. I w- if I was a Mizzou fan this year, and you could only make it to one game for the Tigers, Mizzou versus I would Memphis. say go to Mizzou versus K State on September 16th, or go to Mizzou versus Florida on November 18th. I'd say it doesn't matter because hot dogs are three dollars. South Carolina could be fun too. South Carolina is always a good game. Do they host Arkansas this year or no? Uh, they do not. Okay, that game is in Arkansas. Let's go to Arkansas. That's Friday. exotic. You want to go to that exotic destination? Probably better environment. What would you say is the most exotic place that Tanner's ever been? Oh. I I don't understand why I'm being criticized for this. (laughs) The use of the word exotic. But I think that's fair. I don't think it is. You need the definition of exotic? I can give you tickets to a whiteout game in Penn State. Or I can give you tickets to exotic. Mizzou versus It was the usage LSU. of the exotic. Word exotic. Originating in, a, in or characteristic of a distant foreign country. Is Georgia a foreign country to you? I've well, never been. A, yeah, Georgia is a foreign country. Different foreign country. <laughs> That's not the Georgia he's talking about. The most exotic place that Tanner's been. Look, I don't think this is that much of a slip up as going Lars and Nupar is a perennial all-star. Whoa, no, it's the exact I same thing. I corrected it yesterday. No, we itched on him yesterday. And I corrected myself. I said Lars Nupar. Is the Georgia of the United States where Tebow or BK thinks it's the Georgia in a different continent? You just said Georgia's exotic. T Bone, can you name where Georgia is located? Ooh, like I not can. the state, but the country. Uh, it's in Europe. <laughs> okay. Coming up next. I know that. They're playing UEFA. I don't know that John Mozela could name where Mason Wynn is right now or why he's still in AAA. He tried to explain it yesterday. Guys, he's got to come up with a better lie. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. So Mason Wynn has not been in the lineup the last few days uh, for the Memphis Redbirds as he continues uh, dealing with the glute issue Tight glute. that has kept him out of the lineup since August the 7th. 
But there's still questions about when he's going to get the call up to the big leagues. And Alex, these are obvious. They are necessary. And I understand why everybody is asking, when is Mason Wynn going to get the call up? If he was healthy, I still don't think he would be getting the call up just yet. Why is that, BK? Well, it's very simple. His rookie status maintains its eligibility for 2024 for another week and a half. And so the Cardinals would like to maintain that status because if he were to win the rookie of the year next year as a top 100 prospect, they could get a draft pick compensation for it. And if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to research this a little bit more. I think he also gets a potential bonus pool that is out there for rookies. Cardinals don't care about that. It it could be money for him as well. So this works out for both sides where it could help him out money-wise, could help the Cardinals out draft pick-wise. It makes sense for everybody involved to keep him down there for another week or two before he ends up getting the call up to the big leagues and probably taking the spot of Jose Fermin on the roster. But John Mosellock was asked about this yesterday, and it was a question about both Mason Wynn and Luke and Baker. And he came up with a different reason Uh-oh. as to why they're not up on the big league roster right now. Well, obviously, I think Luke and, and, and um, Mason are in two different places. Um, Mason much younger. Uh, I would argue that Luke has experienced this, but he's also probably someone that, that could benefit from spending a little bit more time in the big leagues or seeing how he performs at that level, whereas it's a much different conversation when you're trying to balance um, where Mason is in his development stages. And, I mean, we're even seeing a little bit here with Jordan Walker, right? I mean, there's, there are real struggles at this at level, and are you better off doing it here are you better off you know maybe maybe being able to work on some things at triple a and gain some confidence and i assure you those calculus are something we think about a lot so that audio courtesy of bally sports midwest shout out to jim hayes for getting the interview yesterday with john mosaylock moni's come up with a better answer for this man he does because none of that holds any water mason Wynn, while he was healthy was performing incredibly well couldn't have been more confident down at the triple a level but man that's not why he's not up at the big leagues He's not up the big leagues because of the rookie stuff. And if it is true, like, it's not. But if it were true that that's why they're holding him down there prior to him being hurt, well, then it's a terrible explanation. It's not a good reason to keep him down there when Taylor Motter is getting real playing time up here and Fermin is on the big league roster. Like, you you cannot explain it away that way. Wait, Fermin's up? No, he's just on the 40, man. Isn't he up? No, I don't is think he? so. No, they sent him back down. Are I- you sure? No, I'm not sure. I'm, actually, I, I'm questioning everything. I'm 100% yeah, for sure. me, he's on the roster right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> what did he last play? There's no bleeping way he's on this roster. He is, and I have no issues with it right when now. When the hell None. did they call him up? I have no problem with Jose Fermin being here. Today, if he is here 10 days from now, then I'll have an issue with it Damn if he, Mason Wynn is healthy. He's been here for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, he's. you wow. got to have somebody that plays that bench role. I have no problem with him being on the big league roster right now. Where I will have an issue with it is if that sustains after Mason Wynn gets back to being healthy and after the rookie status for him is fine for the upcoming season. So I most got to come up with a better answer for this. Man. Here's my issue with it. Using Jordan Walker is an odd way to frame why we're not bringing up Mason Wynn. First of all, Jordan Walker's issues is not offense. It's defense. And Jordan Walker, the issues that he went through were when you sent him back down to Memphis, when you brought him back up from Memphis that he needed to work on stuff. He was the exact same player. And to say that well, he, he was up in the air a little bit more, but fine, but still good player. 
He was, I think he's talking about Jordan Walker's recent struggles because yeah. Walker's been going through it a little bit. Absolutely. But again, this goes back to the argument that I made with Matthew Libertor at the beginning of the show. I'd much rather have him going through those struggles at the major league level than AAA and figuring Agreed. it out. And then to say that somebody who is going to be a pivotal player in next year's team, your starting shortstop, uh, I'd like to get as many reps as possible at the major league level because if you're contending at the beginning of the season next year, I'd like him to feel comfortable at the major league level rather than just get a couple of starts. So, yeah, that uh, that argument doesn't have any feet for it. All he has to say, by the way, he's got an answer that's ready for him. Hey, you know, Mason Wynn got hurt the other night. Uh, we want to see him get back to being full health, getting back to full strength. He was on the cusp of getting the call up to the big leagues before he got hurt. We love to see what he's doing down there. We just want to see him get back to getting on the field. We want to see a little bit of action before we get him that call up to the big leagues. But we anticipate seeing Mason win before the end of the season. We're really excited about what he's doing down in AAA, and we can't wait to see him having similar success at the big league oh. level. Boom. Done. End of story. Oh. Nobody has to ask about it until Mason wins good, healthy, ready to go, and has a little bit of success again at the triple a level also how about luke and baker so just easy. being left on no man's land just like oh you could argue that it'd probably get more suited to have more reps at the major league level but then let's talk about mason win <laughs> sorry lucan stuck down in purgatory i guess i think luke and baker gets the call up when they call up mason win to take that jose for mean spot because then you have a little bit more of the infield depth that's capable ready to go at the big league level so i, I think the two are actually tied together yeah, I, I would agree with that. And with the roster expansion coming in September, and I don't think they're going to wait that long on Win or Baker. They may wait on Baker, but I don't think they're doing that for a win. But you're right. I mean, it's easy to just fill the slot where they're going to do it. And you're right. I, I think this isn't a conversation. If it was framed by the Cardinals as, yeah, he got hurt. We want to see how he responds to that. And I don't think that's going to be a serious in- issue for Mason Wynn. Like, I expect him to be the same guy when he gets healthy again. But it's an easy response compared to just playing the game of, like, Okay, I know you're lying. Like, I mean, we know you're lying if you tell us the injury excuse, but this one was clear and obvious of, okay, this is clearly the rookie status, and he can't just come out and say, well, you know, we're holding on to him to wait till that way he doesn't lose his rookie status because then the MLBPA would be upset about it. So he can't just say that just so we're clear. But, yeah, they've got to come up with a better story as to why Mason wins down there. And let's just be honest, Baker probably gets it. Can we talk a little bit about what we all learned last night? What did we learn last night, buddy? Yeah, what are we referring to? Speaking of... Matthew Libertor is a number three in the making. Rookies for the Cardinals, or guys that are young in the Cardinal system right now. Did you know that? Did you guys know that the Cardinals, in a roundabout way, got Tink Hintz in the Randy Rosarena deal? We win the trade. They did? Did you know that? I thought they drafted Tink Hintz. They, they did. did. They traded a comp pick to the Rays, which technically is better, but let's set that aside for a second. They traded down with their comp pick. So they got the Rays comp pick. They traded the Rays their comp pick in the deal that ended up sending Randy Rosarena to the Rays. Who was the comp pick for the Rays? Uh, he's a guy that had actually ended up getting traded to the Pirates and hasn't yet okay. reached the big league yeah, level. You won the trade. So it's possible that you got Tinkins and Matthew Liberator. For Randy Rosarena. You got a potential number two and a number three in a rotation for Randy Rosarena. Did you know that? No. I didn't I, know that. That's impressive. I feel like they did the Men in Black flashy thing in front of my eyes whenever that happened, and I have no recollection whatsoever of that being a part of the trade. None. Oh, I mean, it was a comp pick. I mean, how would we have remembered? A, I mean, typically when the trade goes down, you only look at the two names. You're not going to look at the – it's like when player to be named later. Like, nobody knows the player to be named later until somebody says that was the player to well, be named later. They showed and, that graphic on the screen yesterday on Bally Sports I, I Midwest. Was I was typo. like, you can't – 
this isn't part of the deal. You can't include the fact that somebody left, and so the Cardinals and the Rays both got a comp pick, and the Cardinals side turned I, out I mean, better. technically you could. And then I looked at it, and I was like, that was actually a part of the trade. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Now, I don't want to give the Cardinals too much credit here because you still they technically Rosa traded Rosa. down 30 spots in the draft. So if they really loved Tinkins, they could have just selected him with that first comp pick well, and hey, wouldn't too have had high, to wait man. until he wasn't going to go there. But neither here nor there, that puts a good story to rest because of the facts that are getting in the way of it. I prefer this side of the story and the Cardinals might end up winning the Randy or Rosarena trade because of Tinkins. Already yeah. won. The, the whole reason I forgot all about that, because when you think major league baseball trades, you don't think draft picks. Yeah, you can't yeah. trade draft because, picks. Because like in, in hockey you can trade draft picks. Football you can. Basketball you can't. So it's always easy to go, oh, I remember when we got like for example, the Blues, Just who draft. did they draft when they traded Vladimir Tarasenko? What'd that pick end up becoming? Same with Ryan O'Reilly. Baseball you don't really think of that and I didn't even and like I knew it after seeing the graphic because I do remember after seeing it, but you forget all about it because baseball it's always about oh what prospects did we get? What's that prospect doing? It's never hey how did that draft pick that we end up getting turn out to be? Oh it happened to be Tink Hins. Nice. Here's my question though: If an NFL team traded a player and a second round pick to another team, and the other team traded a third round pick and a player, right? Would you give the team that got the third round pick credit for winning that trade when they sent out a second round pick because they got the best player in that deal? Does that make sense? So, like, if the yeah, I'm not Chiefs... going to give them credit for the trade, I'm going to give them credit for the draft. So that's basically yeah. what we're doing. I mean, like you, you... because the Cardinals traded down right. in the draft and got the best player potentially hey, to come through this uh, trade. I'm tired. So I'm going to give credit to Randy Flores. I'm tired of hearing we lost the trade. Let's spin it our way and say we won the oh, trade. I already did Would you rather have night. Randy Rosarena or Libertor and Tink Hens, if Hens ends up being the player that we think he can be? I'd rather have Randy. <laughs> Same. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. This outfield sucks, man. Just give me a constant. But see, I feel better about the outfield right now. I, I don't. Do you? Yeah, well, I don't know about center. But, um, <laughs> do, do you? Like, I don't know like, about left either. I think the Cardinals could have done some serious damage over the last couple of years if they had Randy or Rosarena in their lineup. Agreed. Okay. I think it would have changed the outlook for each of the past two seasons. And we would be talking about another pitcher that's rising I, through the rankings like Hens and Libertor. See, I don't think we are, though. I think we are. I, I think maybe the Cardinals a Libertor. Might, the Cardinals might have, have drafted Tink Hens at that pick that they ended up trading yeah. in the well. So technically, you could have Randy <laughs> A and Tink Hens. It's an okay, interesting maybe. hypothetical, though. I. It does change the calculus. It could, instead of looking like the worst trade that the Cardinals have made in a decade, it could end up being just like a trade that, ah, you probably wish you had Randy Rosarena, but damn, look, we got Tink Hitz, who's a number two starter for us, and Matthew Libertor, who projected to be a number three starter for us, and now is a, a five. Two-fifths of your rotation yeah. two years from and, now could be part of that deal. But I guess my counter to the draft thing of, well, they could have taken Hintz in that spot that they traded down from. Nobody across baseball valued Hintz anywhere below where That's the Cardinals right. took him. So I think he's. I think the Cardinals would have passed on Hens if they have that pick. Would be my guess. I don't know unless he was like their number one favorite target. Could have had Clayton Beater instead of Tink Hens. I would rather have Tink Hens. Yeah. Trying to find some of the draft picks that win. <laughs> Coming up next tonight, beat might be Adam Wainwright's best chance to get to win one ninety nine, <laughs> and it's coming against my godforsaken Kansas City Royals. We'll talk about it next. You're on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tonight, my 
might be Adam Wainwright's best opportunity to get win number 199. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Who are they playing, buddy? Kansas City Royals. Oh, yeah. If you're making your trip over to Kansas City, by the way, enjoy some barbecue tonight. Go to Memphis and get it. Go to Nashville and get it. Damn it, I messed it up because Memphis is the barbecue. Go to Nashville and get the barbecue. No, Whatever, it's over for me. Don't do the Nashville idea. Go over to KC, get yourself barbecue. some good barbecue. Go over to Boulevard Brewery, get yourself some good beer. Enjoy, enjoy your time out in Kansas City. Uh, I might suggest going out to the uh, the Crossroads District. That's my personal favorite area in KC. Adam Wainwright's going to enjoy his time there, though, Alex. Of course Because he he's is. going up against a team that is downright awful. Kansas City Royals are just not very good. Outside of Bobby Witt Jr. and Salvador Perez, they really don't have anybody in their lineup that's worth anything. And if we're being totally honest, it's really just Bobby Witt Jr. that can do any damage against you. So as you go into this game tonight, man, I'd be putting my best defensive alignment out there if I'm uh, Ollie Marmel. Because I'm doing everything that I can to give him the best chance possible. His upcoming games, Kansas City tonight. And then you've got the Mets, the Pirates, the Padres, and the Pirates again. And then unfortunately for him, he's going to have to go to that terrible place that he called the Devil's Lair and play against the Cincinnati Reds, barring something unforeseen with a change in their rotation. But that's kind of the way the thing's set up right now. His best opportunity, the worst lineup that he's going to face, it's coming tonight. And I'm rooting like hell for Adam Wainwright to be able to get this one, man. I am too. And this is, I don't think this is anything to do with Adam Wainwright tonight and everything to do with the offense behind him, because you would imagine with this team that you're going up against, Waino should be able to uh, manage his way through this batting over to get five good innings for you. It's going to be the offense giving him the lead and holding on to the lead. Cause if he gives it up, get it back. And if you can't get it back, I know um, this guy that they're going up against, is he a, is he a bullpen guy that they're just I mean, throwing out there? He's, bad, yeah. he's got a Royals pitcher. He's got so a he's, 10, just bad. he's got a they're, 10 ERA and 14 innings of work. Yeah. They're going with a bullpen game today and their starter quote unquote, their opener is oh, Dylan Myers. Coleman, oh, okay. who, yeah, no, no, has a 10 ERA this year. He'll come out of the bullpen. Yeah, he was actually really good for them last season, but it's just completely so, fallen so, off. This but this year. is the thing with Wayno. Like, he's going to give up runs. It's just how it goes with him. Get, keep the lead for him. Like, every half inning, I sh- the Cardinals should be fighting to get that lead for Adam Wainwright and holding on to it because that's how he's going to get that extra win. I would go tonight... I know, I know, you guys are going to be mad at me because it includes Jordan Walker not playing in the outfield. But I, I would put Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Lars Newbar in my outfield tonight. Go with your best defensive alignment. I would have Tommy Edmond tonight starting for me at shortstop. Like, I, I'm i pulling out all of the stops. I would even consider putting Jose Fermin at oh, second base. I knew you were going to say You it. know what? Put, Taylor Motter at short? No, I'm going with Tommy Edmond at shortstop, and then I'm going to go ahead and put Nolan Gorman. Somebody needs a day off, though. At, at DH. I might even put Kisner back there behind the plate. Okay, now you're getting too aggressive. Let's go all in on defense tonight, and let's see what it looks like for Adam Wainwright. Pull one last stop out for him, man. This is a real opportunity for him to be able to get 199. Give him the best chance possible. You know he ain't missing bats. This is not going to be a seven-strikeout performance for him, you wouldn't think. Uh, Royals lineup makes it possible, but you wouldn't expect that to be the case. So give yourself the best defense behind him in an outfield that has the most square footage in all of Major League Baseball. Let's see if he can keep the ball in the yard. Get Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Lars Newbar out there running down everything that's in the air. And let's let's see what it looks like for Wayne. I hope that knee's okay for Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, well, hope that turf cool. didn't hurt him too much I, last night because they need that defense. Look, I, I don't mind the idea, especially since he didn't 
ride O'Neal on the bench yesterday and decided to go back to starting him even after yeah. his knees were bothering him. Um, so I, I don't mind that idea for a game. And honestly, maybe another day off for Walker isn't the worst thing in the world because we just mentioned it. He's been struggling offensively. I just had his numbers up. I think I closed them out. You could put him at out. DH, too, if you yeah, wanted to you today. could. I mean, he's hitting 221 in his last But if Kiz games. just playing, I want Contreras so. as my DH because I need the best offense out there right now. Yeah. Either way. And, and I, I think you probably should start Kisner because I think he's earned every opportunity to start. I mean, he's playing like a major league starting caliber catcher right now. Hit his, I think, ninth home run yesterday. And he is better defensively than uh, Wilson Contreras. So I'm okay with that idea, especially since you're trying to help out as much as possible for Adam Wainwright to try and get to 199. I'm okay with them going with their defensive alignment. I wouldn't start for me, and I would still start Gorman for his offense. But I'm willing to listen on the idea of going O'Neal, Carlson, and Newt Barr And this is why that 200 wins is so crucial. Because, I mean, look how much we're talking and excited about potentially getting closer to that 200 with tonight's start of Adam Wainwright. So, like, you're going to have to go out there and perform for him at this point because Wainwright's... Wayno's gas tank right now has got that red line on E, and you're trying to figure out when you're going to stop for gas. Somebody's got to take that step forward and kind of push him to the finish line. Somebody says, BK, have you watched any of Wayno's performances this season? If you were smart, you would want as much offense in the lineup as possible because you know he's going to give up four runs in the first three innings. What is the defense going to do for you when the ball is leaving the ballpark? Well, I've got good news for you. There are very few ballparks in all of baseball that suppress the home run ball the way that Kansas City's ballpark does. So that's going to help him out. The outfield being as big as it is, this is not a good Jordan Walker uh, ballpark, by the way, it's it is huge in the outfield. It's kind of like Coors Field in that regard, where there's just a lot of space to be able to roam. So that's why I would probably go with Newt Carlson and O'Neill out there to be able to run down as much stuff as possible. And like, if Wayno ends up giving up four or five earned runs in the first three innings, the chances of him getting through five are are pretty slim. So him even qualifying for a start at that point is going to be difficult to accomplish. I, I would want my best defense out there first. Try to get Wayno through five, and if he gets through five, then you could start utilizing your your pinch hitters. Now I can bring Jordan Walker into the game in the outfield if I need to. Now I can bring Nolan Gorman into the game at second base if I need to. I, I'm doing full line shifts, man. <laughs> out here, it's a hockey line shift for is me it, with Wayno on the mound. Is it odd too for me to look at this and say like I'm not pulling him out until he p- throws five innings to where he qualifies for that win? Just because, like, if it looks bad for him, offense go out there and get the runs back for him. Like, give the guy the opportunity to get the amount of innings he needs to win. Yeah. Like, I'm not pulling him out until he gets through five. I think that's fair. I mean, you, if you're down by, like, seven runs. Don't care. Offense, get it back. This is Kansas City. Come on. Like, you can get it back. I mean, you are going up against a bullpen game, and they have a bad bullpen. So Until Michael Myers comes out. I think he's in Triple uh, A. Doesn't matter. He, they put him in Triple A, just yeah. like the other Michael Myers. He he doesn't die until he's actually dead. He's always it's Very always true. possible that he reappears. Very true. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, you give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. But before we get to that, I forgot to give you your chance to win a four pack of tickets <laughs> to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals versus the A's. So let's do that right now, and then again later in next week's Budweiser Bash. Dash game features a limited edition Gary Gaetti bobblehead. Text in now at 314-399-9646 if your text are number 101. And you can tell us who is the I'm gonna 
who is the team that is dropping their prices on concession? If you can tell us who that team is that's dropping prices on concessions this year, and your texture number 101, you're getting a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. Guys, we don't have to worry about Michael Myers appearing tonight. He's not even the Royals organization anymore. They DFA'd him. Give it, give it he's about with the White Sox. We'll see. Really? That, that could still change. DFA. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, going, KC. he's coming yeah, back to KC by tomorrow. One's got to go coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pen. All right, let's play our favorite game. It's called The One's Gotta Go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go. By the way, you could always check us out on YouTube as well at 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find it over on YouTube. You can watch the full show there. And then after the show is completed, you can go back and rewatch it if you want to do that as well. Hell, you could do both. Watch it and then rewatch it to see what you <laughs> That's maybe That's a whole lot of BK and Ferrario. You watch your favorite shows on Netflix. Like you watch Just Seinfeld again. You binge watch watching Friends the again. Sopranos. Binge yeah. our stuff, man. Binge our stuff. You don't know the kind of things that we do in here. Speaking of the Sopranos, somebody on the text line said, one's got to go TV show edition. Sopranos? Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, or Stranger Things. Which one's got to go? I have never seen two of those. Really? Which ones? I, Which ones Game do you of, think? I would say Game of Thrones and, and Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Those are the two I have not okay. seen. I've not um, seen Stranger Things. I would get rid of Game of Thrones. Same. Just because that the the linguistics of that show I don't think would keep me entertained for very long. Okay. It if I'm great. being honest, I would actually not get rid of Game of Thrones because of how significant it was as a like pop culture moment for people. It is the one that I am least likely to enjoy because of my own personal taste. Same. Stranger Things is the one that had the it, it didn't have as much of a cultural movement as any of the other three of those. Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. If you went up to somebody and said, what's your favorite TV show of all time? And they said one of those three things. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I can understand how you would get to that place. Even if I have a different show, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and Game of Thrones are legitimate options. If you said Stranger Things was your favorite TV show of all time, not sure that we could end up being friends. Katie's tried to, well, maybe I need to start saying that more than... Katie's tried to get me to watch that, and I just yeah, I just I can't. Never it's watched fine. it. I don't know why I have not gotten into it. I keep it's on my list. Yeah. I just never have started Same. it. I would probably get rid of it, even though like I started Sopranos and then gave up. Yeah. I I think you're if I just, stuck with it, I probably would. You're a liked psychopath. It. That's an incredible um, show. So it's I great. would get rid of Stranger Things. All right, one's got to go. Home chore edition. All of them. Cutting the grass, doing the laundry. You don't have to do that. You dishes do that. or vacuuming. This is easy. Laundry. This is easy. Laundry. I hate really? laundry. I hate sorting it. I hate washing it. And I hate more than anything folding it. Basically, when laundry's done at our house, it gets thrown into a pile in our bedroom and it does not get folded. It just gets picked out until it goes back in the hamper and then we wash them again. Yeah, I'd say laundry, mostly because I got to drive to a laundry room to do my laundry. But also, you want to know my number one arch nemesis? It is a bed sheet. I cannot fold those damn things. I hate those. A bed sheet? How many bed yeah. sheets do you have? Are you, you talking have? about the one that is fitted to yeah, yours? Yeah, the fitted sheet. Yeah, okay. sorry. Yeah, How many not, bed sheets do you have? Not like a blanket or something. I hate those How things. many do you have? Two. <laughs> How often do you fold them then? 
Oh, when they're dirty and you got to wash them, like I'm going to be doing later today. This is a better question. How often do you, you change I'm your sheets? already dreading it. Uh, How often every do you week. change your sheets? I feel like Alex is every month. No, ours is every week. Really? I do yeah. every week. Every Sunday. Oh, we're like yeah. every month. Yeah. That's nasty. Bad? That's nasty. That's why I, that's should, why I, I, should I switch out my sheets? Well, that's, that depends. Do you guys have a routine? Do you shower before you go to bed? No, man. Yeah, well, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah. Because you're I going to bed in your sweat. I, uh. Filth. Yeah, like Just I got the clean fitted today. sheet in the actual sheet and roll it up. You don't need Ooh. it to be folded. Look at Alex with the good idea there. Yeah, it's not bad. Just roll it up and do it. Not like a I, crumbled I, ball. I, you, I, st- I spend five minutes. Just. <laughs> I don't know I what you're you. doing. Oh, this is a great dance from, move. Uh, it's always sunny. Just like, what? I don't understand. Yeah, you just put the fitted sheet in the actual sheet, fold it over once like a uh, like a taco, and then just roll it up. The correct answer, by the way, is dishes. No, it's not. Doing dishes That's is way easy. worse than doing laundry. Oh, my God, you have a dishwasher. You just put it in. No, you got to wash them first, and then you put them in the dishwasher. Says who? That's not hard. No, but it's just time consuming. I would rather do laundry than dishes. Uh, I, and it's not frustrating. It's not like I feel like I'm failing when I can't fold that freaking Well, that's dishes, on you. This dishes, is a you problem. Dishes take I had to me, do it today. I'm so dreading it. Dishes take me like 10 minutes. Laundry takes me an entire day because you got to wait in between for each load to finish. Yeah, no. I'm good. Yeah. All right. One's got to go. Cardinals young player that could get a contract extension this offseason. Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, or Lars Newbar. I think the one that I would feel least strong about, like it, if they did this, I would be the most concerned. It would probably be Mason Wynn just because it's the most unnecessary because we haven't even seen him yeah. yet at the big league level. Honestly, so I think I all Mason of them Wynn. are unnecessary, but Agreed. I would go Jordan Walker because I just that's the one that I'm making a cornerstone. So I want to get him for a good price as he gets better. I would say Win too, just because you haven't seen him. But it, let's operate under the assumption Win is the guy they think. And who was it that comped him to? Was it Trey Turner? Was that Greg Amzinger? Mm-hmm. Um, if he ends up getting to that <laughs> kind of level, like that? <laughs> well, no, because I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay. I think it was Greg. Um, if he gets to that level, I think the answer is Newpar. Because I think Gorman's got 40 home run, Kyle Schwarber type power. Jordan this Walker. Guy hate Lars Newport, I don't, dude. but I'm just saying, like, of all the guys, and look, Newpar's played well. His ceiling is not what the other three would be then. I mean, his ceiling is Christian Yelich, which won an MVP. I understood the game wrong. Would you rather have Christian Yelich, Trey Turner? I don't even know who the comp would be for Jordan Walker. Ronald Acuna. Jordan Walker. Jordan Alvarez, maybe? Probably. And then uh, who's the one I'm... Gorman is like Schwarber. Yeah, I would would get rid of Schwarber out of that group. Oh, I would keep Schwarber. Over over like prime Christian Yelich? I would rather have Christian Yelich than Kyle Schwarber. Oh, yeah. I would much rather have Schwarber slug baby slug. I understood the the game wrong. I thought we were giving the contract to the person. I I wasn't going to correct you. It's the Friday. Mason Wayne or Nolan Gorman. We're almost done with our shows for the week. I know you're going into the weekend, and I'm sure you got stuff going on with family. Move on. 314-399-9646 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. One's got to go. Shut Milestones up. for T-Bone's life. Oh. Buying a Folding house. sheep. Getting married. <laughs> inventing a new style of hot dogs that we eat. Or hosting a national radio show solo. Can I get rid of the hot dogs? That's disgusting. The so least likely from this group. Sorry, T-Bone. Is getting, getting married. married. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry. Unbelievable! You just you don't you Am don't I, like you, you don't buy a house. Wrong. You, you buying a house is very likely. Well, you hosting a national show solo is absolutely in play. You are talented. You are good at this. Yeah. And somebody would be smart to hire you. So inventing would be smart a new to style of hot dogs seems that like the kind of me. thing that you would no, do. No. The Getting hot dog, married is going to be tough. The hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> 
if there, look, I was upset at BK for the blasphemy on Miller earlier in the week. Uh, I don't know if I can work with him. Uh, is he wrong though? Like he is wrong. How? How? how you gotta try dog, before you can get married. The hot dog is made to perfection already. Yeah. It doesn't need to be improved. I'm sure you could improve it. T Bone, are you are you working towards yeah, how the, do you goal of getting out of the market? How huh? about there? And are I'm you? loving every minute of you it. You said I, today you were gonna go take a nap. I mean, like, come on. I, to be fair, I already took my nap. I dozed off in my chair this morning. And also, when BK was talking, <laughs> that's fair. I talk a lot. Um, yeah, well, he was when was the last time out. that you went on a date? College. Really? Yeah. You haven't gone on a date since you, you've joined this show? Uh, you know, been busting my butt off while here. <laughs> so, no. And I'm Do we have any lucky listeners gigs. that would be interested in going on a, on a date he with our guy agree to it. I told him we need to do a Tanner dating game for a week on our show, and he won't agree to it. It's not the content that people are looking are for. Are you kidding me? I guarantee that would be the content. We get a lucky listener like the dating game uh, on YouTube. I'm so offended by BK's immediate response. I said the same thing. thing. I know. We agreed on it. I can't it. work with you guys on Monday. That's fine, man. I, we I want mean, you, I'm going to talk to Marsh about switching gigs. We are helping you get back out there, I'm trying dude. to help you get married. You, you can't, you can't so, get married if no. you don't date. And you haven't gone on a date since college. You were in college when you were 17. That, yeah, man. You were in college. Five smart. years. You went it. on a date when Facebook was the big social media thing. No, Snapchat was old man. That's why we oh, can't yeah, rely on you. I was like three. I went on a date last mandates ago. Snapchat? I went, we needed to I, get on. Snapchat. I went on a date last when Facebook was the big entity. Yeah, see, I can't rely on you, yeah. old guys. I mean, he's not wrong, man. I mean, we got a bunch of people that are saying, "Yeah, we got to do a dating show no. for T Bone." Everybody yeah. wants it. Look, we don't trust the text line for information. I'm gonna send it out on Twitter at BK Sports. Yeah, put a poll out me. there. Would you be interested in a T Bone dating game on BK and Ferrario? You better hit that follow on at T Bone 101 ESPN. Tanner's on Tinder Roundup. Yeah! <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is definitely the worst. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In a little more than five minutes, I'm giving you your second chance wow. on this very show to win a four-pack of Cardinals tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash in the same for the hour. Cardinals versus the A's. I messed that up. That's on me. But really, I'm going to call him out. This is on Dan for not giving them away during their show. Wow. Uh, he was supposed been, uh, to do it during wow. the 10 a.m. hour. That was a bad hour. idea. So we give you two during the 1 p.m. hour oh. here on BK and Ferrario. Bad idea, man. T-Bone, now you get to be the co-host of a show. And you find that because lucky I don't lady. throw people under the bus. That's why I'll be at the national level. So I posted this Probably on Twitter. Single. You are 100 percent correct, by the way, T-Bone. Um, I have made so many enemies in this. <laughs> Not it. That uh, it's on me. I posted on Twitter. Should we do a T-Bone dating game on BK and Ferrario? So far, 82 percent of the oh. votes coming back as yes, absolutely got it. T-Bone, what, what are the negatives to it? Like, what are the negatives to it? I just don't want to do a dating game with you guys. Why? We're not doing it. You're doing it. We're just helping. And we're going to pay for your date. We would set it up where we get four different women. 
I'm sure all of I them are the charming the and fantastic. They come in, well, they love and our show, each so. of them gets five minutes to spend with T-Bone on the air. We'll do it for two segments. Mm-hmm. The first one comes in. T-Bone has five minutes to ask whatever questions he may have about them. He finds out a little bit about their personality. Okay T-Bone, by the way, on a first date. T-Bone's blindfolded during all hey, of man, this. Alex paying. will handle the uh, the board for you. Whoa. Oh, and gosh. then the second you lovely the lady comes in. We repeat it. We go to break. We get the second or the third and fourth lovely women to come in. And then T-Bone makes his choice. Whoever ends up winning, he chooses. Lucky he winner. takes off the blindfold, goes on a date with that lucky lady. And we will take care of the bill for you. We're not sending you to Olive Garden. We're going to send you to a fancy restaurant. And oh, whatever no. you guys want to do. You want to go play mini golf? We got you. You want to go do go-karts? And by we the got way, you. we got this on the text line, and I want to make this clear. If you want to be single the rest of your life, more power to you. I got no issues with anybody that wants to stay single. That's a perfect choice But it's pretty obvious you. you don't for how aggressive you got towards us yeah, with our answer. T-Bone clearly yeah. wants to find mostly the lucky woman to spend I the rest of his like, life with. I felt like poor Matthew hey, Libertor, where the people have true. given up on him, and he went out there and he shoved last night. Well, we're you asking you to do the same shove, thing. I'm more than happy to give you the credit that you deserve for doing exactly that. We're asking you to do the but same thing, man. But you ain't shoved since high school, man. Whoa, we said college. <laughs> I don't know why it keeps changing. <laughs> yeah, let's let's stick with college there, man. Come on now. All right. It's Come been on a minute now. since T-Bone's been out and in the game, you know? It's, T-Bone. it's time to get yourself back out there. T-Bone. So just, when you're ready, and we're here we'll, for wait, you. we'll wait for you. No peer pressure. I, but when you're ready, we'll do the dating game. On this uh, poll on BK's Twitter page, where are my non? Where are my guys that always text in that say talk sports during the junk drawer? <laughs> they don't want it. They Go want this. They, they no want button. good content, and we're trying to give them good content. Yeah. We it, want you to have a future. I think it would be incredible. And by the way, somebody says you got to send them to Steve's Hot Dogs. That That is where you have to go. No, on your I'm going to send them to Home Depot, and he gets one of those <laughs> hot dogs from <laughs> the carts. That's how you lose a date real quick. Here, we're going to go to my favorite hot dog spot. All right, before we get out of here today, I do want to spend a couple of minutes on Matthew Liberatore, who last night was just absolutely incredible. He's the first lefty starter this season to pick up a W against the Rays. There is no yeah, but from that performance goes eight innings, has a bunch of strikeouts, doesn't walk a single batter, had the fastball velo late curveball was a player for him Had a nice change up worked in the slider as well. Legit five pitch mix up, down, in, out. He had everything going for him last night. That is exactly the type of thing that the rest of the season is about. It's those little moments, those individual games or you see something from a player that makes you revisit what the expectations are for him long term i don't know what matthew libertor is going to do in his next start it's probably not going to look like that it's not going to look as good because that is not the expectation for anybody certainly not a 23 year old prospect but him doing that means that he's capable of it means that he could be a better pitcher than what we all had in our minds a week ago so the rest of the way, he continues to throw every fifth day. And if it goes poorly for him next time, man, rebound from that start. Let's see what it looks like. He can work himself into the number five pitcher mix for us for next year. I'm not expecting that exact outing again from Libertor this season, but I am expecting something close to it. I'm expecting the swing and misses. I'm, ex- I'm expecting the velo to be where it was, and I'm expecting the command to be there. All of those, if they continue in that direction, albeit they hit their struggles at some point, if those continue that way, then I'm a believer. And again, I talked about it at the beginning of the show. I was frustrated the last night because it's like, where the hell was this? But if you have unlocked something with Matthew Libertor, then let's see it the rest of the way. Because by the end of this season, I can be convinced that Matthew Libertor 
could be an option as a number five starter for you. By no way am I penciling or writing him in pen next year just by what he does the next four or five starts. I got to see it long term, but at least I'm going to consider it if he continues his success. Yeah, now it's all about proving that this was not a one off because right now we can dream about it. He gets hit around next start. It's going to be a different story. Or walks so, guys next time. Yeah, and look, I, I've said this about. I said this earlier in the show, and I've said this about younger prospects when they get up here. My biggest thing is, can I see adjustments? I know you're going to struggle at some point when you get to the big leagues. There's not a lot of players that come up and just take off and never look back. There's that's Hall of Famers. Not everybody mm. that comes through a system's a Hall of Famer. How do you make those adjustments? I hadn't seen them from Matthew Libertor up until last night, and that's why I'm excited to see what he looks like in his next start and the rest of his starts throughout the rest of this season because I can now see what the Cardinals were dreaming on with Matthew Libertor. Earlier today, I got fooled by fake news. I said a certain player signed with a certain team. Who is that player? If you're texture number 101 at 314-399-9646, you are going to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. You're getting a four-pack of tickets for that game against the Oakland Athletics. Text in now 314-399-9646. Texture number 101 that can name the player that I had fake news about signing with a certain team. You are going to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. We'll have Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager, joining us on the show on Monday. If you guys missed anything from today, check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.